Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. I really can't tell you how loud Curtis keeps his headphone volume. I mean, the guy must have no hearing left. I, I've no But, I mean, I just lowered it significantly, and it's still super loud. I mean, really. I, I am worried about the guy. The guy's a young man. To have this degree of, uh, of hearing loss at his age is very troubling. That is the thing with the radio. Um, you know, so many of people that do this for a while develop hearing loss because you end up wearing headphones for so many years and you you wear you wear it at such a high volume. Uh, I know Bob Grant, towards the end of his life, could barely hear anything, was totally dependent on uh, on hearing aids. Imus had a very, very difficult time hearing. My my friend Joe Franklin had a very difficult time hearing. Obviously, the best example is Rush, although his his situation was not from the use of headphones. But uh, uh, I, I hope Curtis uh, has somebody take a look at these ear. You know, one of the things I lost from, uh, excuse me, one of the things I learned from Bob Grant was that he did a series of expert interviews with audiologists and others confirming that if you lose your hearing, you're so much more likely to develop dementia and there's documented studies about this. So if I were Curtis, look, I mean, he's in no position to lose, you know, any more memories. I would be absolutely taking a look at that hearing situation. All right. Uh, speaking of audiologists, medical professionals, I don't want to surprise you. But I do have to confess, I am not a psychiatrist, not a psychiatrist can't write prescriptions. I'm not even a psychologist, although I do my best to, uh, from a layman's perspective, do some psychological diagnoses from people that you hear. So um, you should keep that in mind, that I have no professional training when it comes to psychiatry or psychology at all for the next few minutes as I tell you what's happening. Now, do you know what the DSM-5 is? The DSM-5, you might have known it better as the DSM-4, is the Psychiatry Bible, okay? And it is the the index of disorders. If you want to know what um, what's a mental disorder, 
it's in the DSM-5. Uh, schizophrenia, in the DSM-5. Uh, bulimia, in the DSM-5. You know, you go down, you know, down the line of mental disorders. They're all in the DSM-5. But there was one story that caught my attention yesterday. And it, I, I got to say, I read it twice, which, you know, given the limitations on my time over the weekend, it's rare that I read a story twice because I didn't want to jump to conclusions. I wanted to fully understand the facts, and then I wanted to think about it. And then I did all those things, read it again, and it's left me with more questions than answers. As I said, I'm not a psychiatrist. But here's the deal. After more than – I'm going to tell you the story first. And then I'm going to give you my two cents. And then I'll invite your two cents as well. 800-848-9222. After, this is from the New York Times, Ellen Barry, Sunday edition, front page. After more than a decade of argument, psychiatry's most powerful body in the United States added a new disorder this week to its diagnostic manual. So understand this is a big deal. When the people that decide what a psychiatric disorder is add something else to this DSM-5, that essentially makes it a major league disorder. You know um, you know how sort of once a sport is recognized, if, if they're in the Olympics, that's, the, that's a big deal for them. Like uh, you don't see pickleball in the Olympics. You don't see professional competitive eating in the Olympics. If it were to make the Olympics, that would instantly give it a level of credibility that those sports don't currently have. Well, after more than a decade of argument, psychiatry's most powerful body in the United States added a new disorder this week to its diagnostic manual. You ready for this? Prolonged grief. Prolonged Grief. The decision marks an end to a long debate within the field of mental health, steering researchers and clinicians to view intense grief as a target for medical treatment at a moment when many Americans are overwhelmed by loss. This new diagnosis, prolonged grief disorder, was designed to apply to a narrow slice of the population who are incapacitated, pining and ruminating a year after a loss and unable to return to previous activities. Now, what does that mean that it's in the DSM-5? Excellent question. Its inclusion in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders means that clinicians can now, and this is what it, I think John Katsimatidis usually says, follow the money. Follow the money on this. Its inclusion in the DSM-5 means that clinicians can now bill insurance companies for treating people for the condition. Additionally, the Times writes, it will most likely open a stream of funding for research into treatments. Naltrexin. A drug used to help treat addiction is currently in clinical trials as a form of grief therapy and set off a competition for approval of medicines by the FDA. Since the 1990s, a number of researchers have argued that intense forms of grief 
should be classified as a mental illness, saying that society tends to accept the suffering of bereaved people as natural and that it fails to steer them towards treatment that could help. A diagnosis, they hope, will allow clinicians to aid a part of the population that has, throughout history, withdrawn into isolation and uh, after terrible losses. Dr. Paul Applebaum, who's the chair of the steering committee overseeing revisions to the fifth edition of the DSM, he said, they were the widows who wore black for the rest of their lives, who withdrew from social contacts and lived the rest of their lives in memory of the husband or wife who they had lost. They were the parents who never got over it, and that was how we talked about them. Colloquially, we would say they never got over the loss of that child. Now, your reaction to this, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. I'm going to give you mine. Keep in mind, as I react to this, what, keep in mind the very first thing that I said. I am not a psychiatrist, not a medical professional. I have no medical training or psychological training whatsoever. In fact, a lot of people believe that uh, I, I have to be sent to a, a specialist to deal with my many, many psychological hang-ups. Not even a regular person, but just uh, out in Vienna where Freud studied. They, that's where the only prayer that I have of getting any help. Now, I think this is crazy. I honestly think this is crazy. Now, I have lost people very close to me, and uh, including uh, uh, people tragically in some cases. I had a very close friend and a co-worker who was murdered, and nobody was closer to him in the world than I was. And I got to tell you, the grief that I felt was debilitating. And the days after his murder, there are still large portions of that day that I have no memory of whatsoever. People will cite back conversations. People will cite back things that I did. I don't remember any of it. But I do think this is something that everyone goes through. Now, can prolonged grief, the loss of a loved one or a friend or whomever, can prolonged grief rise to the level of being a psychological disorder? Yes, I think so. But I think if you're in such a way that the grief that you feel over the loss of a loved one is debilitating, particularly after a year, then I think you're suffering from depression. I think that's clinical depression. Now, clinical depression or depression can be brought out by all sorts of things. It can be brought out uh, over financial circumstances. It could be brought out uh, due to health issues. It could be brought out by, um, you know, uh, uh, a, any number of the, the loss of a pet or, yes, the loss of a family member or loved one. I think to add this new disorder, prolonged grief disorder, and again, I speak to you entirely as a layman, to add this new disorder, prolonged grief disorder, is nothing but a money grab. It's an attempt by the psychiatrists to bill insurance companies for one more thing, and it's an attempt by Big Pharma to find a whole bunch of new drugs that they're going to be able to sell and make billions with. I find this 
Crazy. Uh, look, I think, as critics have said of this for years, designating this as a mental disorder, this basically turns into a disorder a fundamental aspect of the human experiences. Now, I also am very concerned that this is going to lead to, all, even if this is a disorder, prolonged grief disorder, even if this is a disorder, I am concerned that this is going to lead to grieving people being told by doctors that they have mental illness when they're just emerging slowly but naturally from their losses. I think this is going to lead to a panoply of false positives and people taking drugs. And I think that's what this is all about. Tell me what you think. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-WABC. I really do fear that grief will now be seen as a growth market by these drug companies. They're going to try to persuade the public that they need medical treatment to emerge from mourning. When this is something that we've had to deal with for the totality of human existence. I don't think this, I think this decision looks to be a done deal at this point, but I think this decision is completely unwise. Joanne Cacciatore, who's an associate professor of social work at Arizona State, and she's published widely on the, on the grief situation and she operates a retreat for bereaved people. She agrees with me. She's quoted in the Times as saying, I completely, utterly disagree that grief is a mental illness. When someone who's a quote-unquote expert tells us we are disordered and we are feeling very vulnerable and feeling overwhelmed, we no longer trust ourselves and our emotions. To me, that is an incredibly dangerous move and short-sighted. I completely agree with her. I completely agree with her. I think this is bad news. And I think I'm concerned now that you're going to have doctors and maybe even other people that can write prescriptions not knowing a patient very well, examining them for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and then say, oh, this person lost their their wife, this person lost their, their son, this person lost their brother, then tough, uh, you know, they're probably suffering from prolonged grief disorder. I think this provides an easy out for doctors. I think this provides an easy way to build insurance companies for healthcare providers. And I think this is a, a way for drug companies to make a whole bunch of money. I think this is bad news. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. You know, I spoke with somebody a couple of years ago, more than that maybe about 10 years ago, Dr. Alan Francis, who wrote the um, DSM-4 or helped write the DSM-4. And he says that under the DSM-5, essentially all of us have a mental disorder. All of us have something that could be qualified as a mental disorder. I sent a note to Dr. Francis before the show. I don't imagine I'll hear back today. But uh, he's 80 years old, so he's probably asleep. But maybe he'll join me later in the week. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. Sean is in Yonkers. Hello, Sean. Frank, I normally call on another another subject, but I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, these, these are the same shrinks that are encouraging our children to get sex change operations. And they're telling us that grief is abnormal. Come on. 
Well, they're saying technically it's prolonged grief that is the disorder, not grief itself. They're saying if you're suffering from debilitating grief for more than a year, that's what the disorder is. I um, Look, I think if there's probably something wrong if you're not functional for more than a year, but I think it's probably more likely that you're suffering from depression. Exactly. You're exactly right. That's all it is. It's depression. Thank it's... you. Thank you, Sean. And uh, just for, for the sake of consistency, um, read The Janine Machine by Richard Blasberg, Twisted Justice at CNN.org. Jeffrey is in Queens. Hello, Jeffrey. Hello, Frank. Hello. Yeah, I, I agree with you a thousand percent about uh, drug companies uh, manipulating it so they can make dollars. It, it, it's about it's disgusting. I'll say one thing. I mean, I'm a little confused, but uh, about 30 years ago, this, the, the, I had this insight, or I, I was educated about this point, that the the battle to happen in the 40s and the 50s, the talking cure. You are you, you familiar with, with that phrase? Yeah, I mean, it's basically right. talk therapy, right? Right, right, right. right. So talk therapy versus drug therapy and drug therapy uh, over the last 40 years has clearly won that battle. Oh, no doubt about it. In fact, right. e- even in psychiatry, um, that is, that is a, a whole battle within psychiatry. About eight years ago, there was this fascinating article about these changes in psychiatry, how basically everyone that's a psychiatrist now, the whole job – is talking to their patients for 10 minutes and prescribing drugs. So this is really, I think, very dangerous potentially, Jeffrey. Thank you. And I look, the bottom line is grief is natural. Lose someone close to you, especially someone that you spent your whole life with, and they die, particularly if it's in a tragic manner, of course you're going to suffer from grief. Of course that grief can be debilitating. I think that's naturally part of life. I don't think that's a mental disorder that needs prescription drugs and billing of insurance companies. 800-848-WABC. You're welcome to disagree, especially if we have any psychologists or psychiatrists listening. I may reach out to both Dr. Judy Kuriansky and Dr. Keith Ablow to ask them to join me on the radio this week. And if I do talk with them, I may bring this issue up with them. I think this is really, as I say, I'm not a professional, but I do think this is not bad news. 800-848-9222. Mary Beth is on Long Island. Hello, Mary Beth. Yes. Good morning, Frank, or good morrow, I should say. Howdy. Howdy. Um. I'm wondering, in this article that you read, did they also refer to this as complicated grief, or was it always called prolonged grief? Uh, No. In the article that I read, uh, I didn't see any any reference to complicated grief, just prolonged grief. Have you heard the term complicated grief? No, educate me about it. I don't don't know anything about it. The only thing I know about that is a friend of mine went through enormous, enormous grief after she lost her son. And she um, did a, I guess, a research project at Columbia University's um, psychiatric department. And it was for complicated grief, which I think would probably be the same as prolonged grief. Um, And it, it wasn't that helpful to her but she shopped around and she finally found a group therapy run by an individual who was a bereavement specialist and it really helped her. But 
you know, this is a real slippery slope because some people have a more addictive personality, and I guess that's based on your brain chemistry. And, yes, some people, I think everybody goes through the stages of grief and the stages of loss in different ways, and maybe even in a different, you know, they say there are different stages, one, two, three, four, five. Some people may go through three before one, but everybody is different. And I think if you have a chemical imbalance in your brain, yeah, maybe you do need prolonged therapy. It's not even medication, but you need an expert who works with your own personality disorder. Well, uh, Mary and, Beth, uh, thank you for the call. I, I'm not disputing that. Uh, what I am saying is that I think if you are your immobile, right, if you're unable to function after a year due to grief, I think you're suffering from clinical depression, something that we already have a diagnosis for. Now, in this article, I've just posted it, and um, it's a good article. It's very well written. It does a good job trying to get a lot of different perspectives. If you want to read it, just go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash MoranoFan. This all came about in the 1990s when there was a psychiatric epidemiologist by the name of Holly Pridgerson, who was studying a group of patients in late life, gathering data on the effectiveness of depression treatment. And she noticed something odd. In many cases, patients were responding well to antidepressant medications, but their grief, as measured by a standard inventory of questions, was unaffected, remaining stubbornly high. When she pointed this out to psychiatrists on the team, they showed little interest. Grief is normal. We're psychiatrists, and we don't worry about grief. We worry about depression and anxiety. Well, how do you know that's not a problem? That's what she would say. So she said about gathering data, and it took about 30 years, but now she's won. She's got this officially characterized as a disorder. And I'm not questioning her motives here. I think Holly Pridgerson's motives are very sound. I think she met a lot of people that didn't fit necessarily neatly into the depression diagnosis. I just honestly... My other issue with this is I do worry that to some extent we're becoming the society in a brave new world, constantly plugged into the media. Everyone's on drugs in the in the book and in the film. They would all take something called Soma. I think that's what it was. Soma. And the idea was that you don't feel anything. You don't feel grief. You don't feel sadness. You don't feel anger because you're drugged out on all this Soma all the time. Grief is natural. I've known many people, unfortunately, that have lost children. And I can't Im- like my son is only three months, uh, almost four months old. He can't talk yet. Um, so I've only known him for four months exactly. If something were to, ha- I-, I can't even think about something that would happen. If something were to happen to him, uh, what that would do to me psychologically, that would be paralyzing, I think. But I think it's only natural. When someone, when you lose someone you love and someone you're super close to, that's only natural. I don't think if it takes you more than a year to get over that, that means you have a mental disorder. A mental disorder is schizophrenia. A mental disorder is something like bulimia. Um, I I think it, there are a number of other ones: uh, eating disorders, uh, intellectual disability. Uh, autism spectrum disorder. There's a long list that I do think are legitimate mental disorders. But again, I offer you the the disclaimer 
I am not a professional. I am not an expert. I have no medical training whatsoever. I don't think prolonged grief disorder is one. Um, if you disagree, let us know. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Uh, not in the mood to argue with anybody. If you want to call in and offer a contrary point of view, please do. Uh, uh, we'll listen to you, and I may learn from you, and maybe you could change my mind. I think this is a mistake. If you're just tuning in, we're talking about this front-page story in Sunday's New York Times about how the new DSM-5 now has grief, prolonged grief specifically, as a mental disorder that allows them to get to bill insurance companies and it allows drug companies to start testing drugs and submitting them for FDA approval. 800-848-WABC. Uh, this is The Other Side of Midnight. Got a lot of other great stuff coming up at 3.30. We got to Uncle Floyd, Floyd Vivino. 3 o'clock, we got uh, commendations. A bunch of other things coming your way as well. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. Love this song. Elvis Costello, Radio Radio. Love uh, the lyrics. I love that it deals with late night radio. And you remember, this is on one of the most watched episodes of Saturday Night Live in history. Elvis Costello performed this song live on Saturday Night Live when they were not supposed to. And he was banned from the show for years, I think decades. So it's a, a bit, it's a controversial song, which you know I like as well. 800-848-WABC. We're going to c- continue with your calls in just a moment. And um, we're talking about this situation regarding the DSM-5, now chronicling a, a prolonged grief disorder as a mental disorder. I don't think grief is a disorder. I think it's natural. I think grief can be very difficult. I think it can be debilitating. I think at that point, you're suffering from depression. That's my two cents. Let me hear yours. 800-848-9222. One open line if you want to jump on board. Tom is in Mineola. Hello, Tom. Hello, Frank. How are you doing? Uh, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Frank. Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I've suffered from this uh, post-grief or, or grief disorder. Uh, I did not have a good relationship with my mother, um, the oldest of six children. Uh, 
I also uh, had PTSD or have PTSD when my mother passed. And I know from other people who have passed in my life that normal grief is about a year. That's what they say, too. I mean, I've talked to my psychiatrist about it. I also have PTSD, so I've been under the care of a psychiatrist since I'm 48 years old, and I'm 73. So uh, the only thing I did about my prolonged grief, which lasted for about four years, I did not have a good relationship with my mother, and there was a lot of guilt attached to her death on my part, you know? I mean, I realized, uh, you know, the son that I had been. But, of course, you know, at, by the end of her life, we had totally reconciled. Uh, we were uh, uh, separated, a three-year period of estrangement uh, at one point in time. But, you know, that was all behind us. And, you know, in her passing, I, I was very attentive and did well, my part. Yeah, I mean, you know. Tom, I'm glad you guys made your peace, and I'm sorry that you suffered so much. But now it sounds to me like you did have PTSD, which is already in the in the right. Right. So it's already in the DSM five. And it sounds like maybe you had depression in addition to that. My question is my question is diagnosed with with depression and anxiety. Right. So, Tom, my question is, you're already suffering with two disorders, at least that are already in the DSM five. Do we really need to slap you with a third mental disorder? Why aren't the two that you have sufficient? Right. All my shrink did, all my psychiatrist did. I'm a a patient at the Veterans Hospital out here in Northport. Um, All my psychiatrist did was add another uh, antidepressant to my uh, retinue of uh, drugs that I take in order to deal with this uh, grief. Because I showed up crying one day at my psychiatrist's office, you know. Right. And And that's what I'm saying. I I, I think you're covered by the existing DSM-5. Yeah, I am. I mean, I would be. Right. So I I guess, Tom, I guess, guess, Tom, what is your position on what the the American Board of Psychiatry is doing here? I think it's real. I you do okay, but so tell me why. Tell added to my PTSD. Okay, well, but it, but if that's the trauma, Tom, right? If the trauma is loss of a parent, and then you suffer PTSD as a result of that, wouldn't that mean you're suffering from PTSD? Why is there a need to also call that prolonged grief disorder? I don't know if there is a need to call it that, but I believe that it's real because I tell you, I went through an extraordinary period of grief. Like I said, four years with sure. my mother. All right, uh, Tom, I, was, I am uh, I am sorry not about natural. that. Natural. No, I hear you. No, I'm, no, I want to try and get to some other people fault. as well. No, no, no. It's all. It's not your fault. I mean, I appreciate the, your two cents, Tom, and uh, I'm sorry about your mom, and I'm I'm sorry you've had such a tough no time, sweat, man. Guess what? I, I, I call, like call me show. again. And, okay. uh, congratulations on getting uh, banned on uh, that uh, dopey social media. You know. Uh, thank you. Yes. If uh, if if I lose my job because of that, I'll at least wear your congratulations. I don't think you lose your job Tom. over that, Frank. Let's hope not, Tom. Thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Uh, Janet is in Manhattan. Hello, Janet. Oh, hi, Frank. 
Frank. Yeah, I'd never heard of this before, and I think part of it, my first thought was pharmaceuticals. I forgot about the part about the insurance company, that if you don't call something an illness, the insurance company will find excuses not to pay for it. Um, I was thinking of a drug, and they're going to come out with a drug. I'm waiting any day now. They're going to have a nifty little acronym, and they're going to call it Prolonged Grief Disorder. Well, and so and you, well, as I said, you, they're taking drugs that they already have, right. like naltraxone, and they're right. using that uh, so that it can be prescribed for this new disorder, Prolonged Grief Disorder. So they right. don't even have to go through the R&D investment of inventing a new <laughs> drug. They already have one here. Hey, use that. Right. Doctors, prescribe that. Is- I'm waiting for the radio ads that are going to say, if you suffer from PGD, that's prolonged grief disorder, maybe this drug would be good for you. Ask your doctor. But you know what I'm reminded of? It's, a pri- it's partly a function of the fact that our health insurance and our, uh, is privatized um, and the most expensive in the world. And I'm, I'm reminded of um, September 11th. And the difference between the way what people had to go through here, the people on the pile, the people who got sick from the World Trade Center collapse, the first responders, what they had to go through, an act of Congress and everything to get health care. And the Canadians, there were Canadians who came down to help us. Um, Some came officially, I guess, through municipalities. Some just drove their own trucks down here and decided to help out the Americans. And when they went back to Canada and they had cancer and they got sick, they didn't have to prove they were on the pile. Right, well, I want to stay focused to... on this, Janet. Thank you. I, I just look, I'm not here to defend the uh, health insurance companies. My father was uh, an insurance executive for 30 years. I know full well some of the conduct that goes on with insurance companies, but it's not as if um, government sponsored health insurance is magically a cure all. Look, I, I know a lot of people that are on Medicare that have uh, feuded with their Medicare providers over what's covered. I know a lot of veterans that have feuded with the Department of Veteran Affairs over what's covered. So I I don't think it's simply a matter – I'm not disputing what you're saying, Janet, that that could be a part of the equation. I don't think it's simply a matter of, oh, if we had uh, single-payer health care like Canada does, everything would be just fine and dandy. I don't think that's the case. I do agree with you that the roots of what's driving this are money and maybe greed – on the part of the drug companies, on the part of the insurance companies, on the part of the doctors, on the part of the medical providers. But uh, I, I, don't, I think it's broader. I, I don't think you can just solve a situation like this with a conversion to a Canada-style system. Uh, personally, I don't. 800-848-WABC. Hey, uh, maybe this will bring a, a smile to you. You know, it's funny. There's so many depressing stories in the news, and that's one of the reasons I was eager to have Uncle Floyd on today because uh, whenever I talk to Uncle Floyd, I just laugh and he's going to join us in the three o'clock hour. But um, this hopefully will bring you a chuckle. But by the way, there's still a lot of news that we're following. Um, For instance, Justice has been hospitalized since Friday. Uh, That's a developing story with flu-like symptoms. We're wishing him the best. I hope he gets better soon. And uh, today, speaking of the Supreme Court, is the first day of confirmations hearing confirmation hearings for Judge Katanji Brown Jackson. So uh, I think she should certainly be confirmed. I think any president's pick, as long as they're qualified even slightly, should be confirmed for the Supreme Court. Um, I'm a not a fan of life tenure for the Supreme Court, but look, that's what we have. And unless a president tried to appoint his dog or 
his child's Little League coach, if that Little League coach was unqualified, to the Supreme Court, then I think the Senate really should defer to the president. A lot of the reason people voted for President Trump and President Biden is because of their Supreme Court picks. So I certainly think they should be confirmed. These confirmation hearings are a joke. It's You have these people who are some of the most opinionated people in the world uh, who then answer question after question pretending they don't have opinions about everything. It's just, it's just a joke. So I'm not going to cover them much unless there's some big surprise as there was with the Kavanaugh hearing. So uh, th- that, what I just said, that's the extent of my coverage. <laughs> Okay, so if you're looking for, well, again, unless something crazy happened. So this might bring you a chuckle. I'll tell you, it did irk me slightly. Do you remember the fella that called on Friday during the Ask Frank Anything portion of the show uh, asking about cottage cheese? I thought I was really comprehensive in my answer to him, so much so, I got a ton of email about it, so much so that Matt Lee testify uh, you know they selected him as the winner of the ask frank anything best question on friday morning so this is the appreciation that this guy has for the complimentary hat that we sent him on friday he calls curtis up i guess it's on saturday morning technically and the, he basically thumbs his nose at the hat that i gave him and takes a shot at me and my fondness for cottage cheese, the very subject that got him a, a winning hat in the first place. This is from Saturday's edition of whatever Curtis's overnight show is now called. Listen, uh, appreciate the benefits of a good hat, especially in the summertime with the sunburn, right? Absolutely. So, so I pr- applaud your diligence with sending out hats. With that being said, our friend Frank... Morano has a segment, Ask Frank Anything. Yeah, yeah, that, that, Ask Frank Anything. On Fridays, uh, for his last show for the week, Friday yes. mornings, it's his first hour. You can ask him anything. Yes, and so last night, I happened to be on the segment, and I won a hat. That's the good news. And here's the bad news. I won a hat from Frank. So, what do you... What do you <laughs> Well, I tell you what, I tell you what, Patrick, because it is so hurtful, uh, it is so offensive to you. We don't want to lose you as a listener. So uh, I tell you what, uh, Carmela, Carmelita, what what is your name again? Phone screen. What is it? it? Camelia. I want you to take Patrick's information, and we're going to send him the better hat, the Curtis Lee with WABC. Love you. So listen, hold on. Guess for how I won. The hat. You want to hear the subject? Yes. Cottage cheese. Cottage cheese. Yes, sir. Well, now you yes. know that's Frank's favorite. Oh, he was in heaven. He 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 would have expanded on this for another forty-five minutes if he had the time. Easily. Now, did he say his favorite is Breakstone's cottage cheese? Uh, he mentioned, uh, I think, about every cottage cheese. He was actually pulling for advertisers during our talk. Wow, yeah, whoa, whoa. he's yeah. throwing out some uh, fish lines for advertising. He says he's buying generic stuff at home, and, uh, you know, he's a, uh, yeah. So, cottage cheese won it. I was, well, know, I, I tell you, you I'll tell you why. He, uh, he is a connoisseur of fromage. Every year he has a huge gathering in Atlantic City in one of the uh, casinos, I think the Borgata. 
where they have like 100 people come and they sample all kinds of high-end cheeses, which, as you know, a high-end cheese means, wow, that's very fattening. You know, it's not 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 necessarily good for you. And then he has all kinds of wines, you know, from 99-cent chemical uh, 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 Julius and uh, Gallo, Gallo wines, uh, and then to the high-end stuff. So uh, he always said to me, he said, cottage cheese is the best because you don't gain weight with it. Well, you know what I think won him over? I said, Frank, I know your affinity for cheese, whether it be on your dashboard of your car for a week or – Taken out of your minutes ago, honey. So I think he, because he, he has, he has said he's eaten cheese that's been on his counter for four days. Yeah, and his wife, and his wife would say, "What are you doing?" So, yeah. So I'm sure he's he's probably grabbed a piece of cheese, you know, stuck in the corner of the windshield that's been there for a week. And now you remember when uh, Mayor Eric Adams uh, he put on the schmuck and he was doing the cooking routine. And he was trying to tell all of us how to live a better life. He actually equated eating cheese to being so addictive, it was like having a heroin habit. Yeah, yeah, I remember reading that. That's pretty out of touch. I think, huh? Yeah, but I think that applies to Frank, right? Well, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. He's addicted. Yeah. He's addicted to fromage, cheese, all kinds of cheese, especially the Parmesan cheese. Now... I, I was really irked by that. This guy, and again, I'm not taking it too seriously because Curtis is having fun. The listener is having fun. But I'll tell you, I go out of my way to try to give him some effective methods of trying cottage cheese that I think he would like. Because cottage cheese is a healthy food and I think it's delicious. And Matley gives him a, a, a complimentary the other side of Midnight Baseball Cap. And his... Thanks for that is to call Curtis and bash me. I thought that was really, really unappreciative of, you know, a lot of other people would have been happy with a cap. I know if I was a caller to talk radio and a host that I enjoyed listening to, which presumably that fellow does with me, would have given me a cap. I would have been thrilled to get it. Thrilled. Um, real quick. just I was going to say, he said that he liked that he got the hat. But it was from you. Yeah, I know. I know. It was, it was very much a... Uh, <laughs> Which made no sense. And also... Left-handed remember, compliment. he had a call back for the hat. Right. It wasn't like all of a sudden it was like, oh, you're the winner. Here's a hat. We said, oh, you're the winner. Right. He rushed call to call for back. for the hat. And he, he called. He called back so quickly. It was like one of those cartoons where you, you move so quickly that all that's left is your silhouette. You hear right. that... <laughs> and, and like Ricochet Rabbit, and forget it. He was he was he was thrilled to get a cap, and then he sucking up to Curtis to get one of his caps. Please, and look if you heard that caller uh, from last Monday in the audio that we cannot seem to find that uh, that uh, Curtis he bought one of Curtis's berets for forty two dollars. Curtis still hasn't sent him the beret. Meanwhile, people that won caps on this show they get their caps right away. So. I'd be I'd be hesitant about what kind of headwear I was praising, my friend. Very quickly, um, let me comment on the Ukraine situation, and I'll get back to your calls in a minute. Um, so my sister-in-law, Sharon, and her husband, James, were over on Sunday, and they're playing with the baby, and we're talking. And, you know, usually whenever I'm home, I keep the radio on, usually this station. We've got a lot of great programming on the weekend. I don't think there's another talk station that has any decent radio programming. 
Um, well, maybe one or two others here and there, but it's it, not a whole lineup. Most of the other stations, it's just infomercial. So you can't really do that when you have people over because if you have talk programming, programming on, you have to pay attention to the talk programming. And we wanted to enjoy one another's company, play with the baby and everything. So usually in a case like that, you maybe put music on in the background and maybe you'll put something on the television set as sort of background. So oh, if your head glances up, um, you know, you can look, oh, that's a sporting event. It's easy during football season because there's always a game on on Sunday afternoons. It's easy during baseball season because there's always a game on on Sundays. But now that's neither football nor baseball, uh, I'm not a big college basketball fan. I don't think my sister-in-law and um, brother-in-law are either. So I said, well, look, they just put on Netflix – the show that made Vladimir Solensky famous, a household name in Ukraine. I mean, he was already well-known, basically their version of Ryan Seacrest, Servant of the People, where this comedian in Ukraine, Vladimir Zelensky, plays the president. He has this Cinderella story. He goes from being a high school teacher to being the president. And with Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, so in the news these days, um, why not, you know, why not put it on television, have it a background, figure maybe it'd be fun. Oh, that's Zelensky acting like a president. Isn't it funny now that he's the president? So I got to tell you, we were watching it and I, we just saw the first episode and it's in, um, a foreign language, but this show is great. This show is absolutely terrific. This show is hysterical. You can actually understand why they elected him president. After he was so good on this show. You can absolutely understand it. So um, that's available on Netflix. But I will tell you, Zelensky said some things yesterday. Um, and again, my heart goes out to Zelensky and the Ukrainian people. They're in the midst of repelling a Russian attack. And by all accounts, the Ukrainian military is doing a great job, much better than anybody would have ever anticipated. But he delivered an emotional address on Sunday this time to Israel's Knesset. Knesset is their legislature. It's like parliament or Congress. And he invoked the Holocaust while accusing the country of Israel of ignoring Ukraine's pleas for help. Quote, Ukraine made the choice to save Jews 80 years ago. Now it's time for Israel to make its choice. Zelensky, who's Jewish said in this video to a, 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 you know, a bunch of politicians, I want to remind you of the words of Golda Meir that I think you recognize. We want to live and our neighbors want to see us dead. That doesn't leave us a lot of room for compromise. Zelensky then condemned Israel's current leaders, such as Prime Minister Naftali Bennett, who has refused to provide Ukraine with Israel's Iron Dome technology that would protect it from Russian missile strikes, they are showing indifference and mediating without choosing a side. Um, one, it's so interesting to me that Zelensky chooses to invoke World War II and Ukraine's role in World War II. Do you know how many Jewish callers and Jewish listeners have emailed me and said essentially some version of, I don't care what happens to Ukraine because they were Nazi sympathizers during World War II. You know how many calls and emails I've gotten like that? Many. And I always say the same thing. Well, it's unfair to judge today's Ukrainians over the conduct of what happened 80 years ago. I think it's, uh, if Zelensky's 
wanting to invoke World War II and what Ukraine did during World War II, then I think it's a separate a separate discussion. Then he says Israel and Naftali Bennett are is mediating without choosing a side. Well, how do you mediate a dispute where you do choose a side? Oh, well, I'm umpiring this baseball game. I'm rooting for the Mets to win instead of the Yankees. Would you ever trust that umpire if you were a Yankee fan? Of course not. If not, if this crisis has any hopes of ending diplomatically, it's going to be through the work of the Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett. And um, I really think this these comments are so out of line to invoke the Holocaust and compare what's happening in Ukraine to the Holocaust. I think it look the Holocaust was an attempted genocide. This is a war where there's a lot of people dying and. My solution is to let's we know how this is going to end. We know it's going to end in the Donbass republics being independent, Crimea being part of Russia and Ukraine not being part of NATO. So we have two two choices. We can either lose a lot of lives as we get to that or we can work out a deal diplomatically through the leadership of Prime Minister Naftali Bennett. I know what I'd choose. And uh, Zelensky berating the Israeli Knesset for enabling a second Holocaust because they're not sending him enough weapons and the prime minister tried to mediate with Russia. Uh, I tell you, as much as I've grown a new appreciation for Zelensky as a comedian and an actor through that show, I am becoming increasingly concerned that this gentleman, Zelensky, and I have no doubt that he's under a lot of stress, is becoming increasingly unglued and is seemingly continues to agitate for World War III, which would not be good for anybody. Uh, my two cents. 800-848-9222. You want to comment on the DSM-5? Curtis, Cottage Cheese, Ukraine, Zelensky, or that TV show, Servant to the People, now's the time. 800-848-WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. I don't care what the weatherman says when the weatherman says it's raining. You'll never hear me complaining. I'm certain the sun will shine. I don't care how the weather van points when the Jeepers Creepers. Uh, this is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Coming up at 3 o'clock, we got commendations. Coming up at 3.30, we got Uncle Floyd Vivino. I am uh, very much looking forward to talking with him because we talk about all these depressing stories. Um, or maybe even personal issues that are depressing, like the loss of a loved one. Uh, if there's anybody that always makes me smile, it's Uncle Floyd. So we'll chat with him in, uh, in a couple hours. Now, on Wednesday or Thursday of last week, I think it was Wednesday, I started feeling in the back of my throat just some mild discomfort. Mild discomfort. Didn't think twice about it. Didn't take anything for it. Thursday comes. Still there. And I notice it's just on one side of my throat, just on my left side of my throat. Okay, Thursday happens. Friday happens. And I got to tell you, I had a very tough time with Friday's show because my throat was really hurting me. 
And now I'm starting to get concerned because uh, and now it's not from overuse. I was in no danger of losing my voice, but it was really uncomfortable. It was really hurting me to swallow just on the left side of my throat. So I finally get home uh, Friday morning after our meeting and everything. I tell my wife about it and she said, let me make an appointment for a doctor today. You might need some medicine or something. Let me make an appointment for a doctor today. So now it's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Maybe it might have even started Tuesday, but I think it was Wednesday it started. I said, no, honey, I'm sure. I think I just need some rest. I haven't slept a lot all week. I think that's what it is. Let me sleep. Let me see if I feel better. Fine. She lets me sleep. She looks after the baby in the afternoon when I usually look after him. I go to sleep. I wake up. Still hurts. Saturday comes about. Still hurts. And now, now I'm concerned that it could be something serious, strap or something else. So after I get my hair cut on Saturday, I go to a walk-in clinic up the block. I tell them exactly everything I just told you. And they said, all right, well, normally uh, we would tell you to wait uh, at least a week before taking anything. But if you've already waited this long and it's still hurting you, it sounds like, you know, we, you may need antibiotics. So I'm going to write you a prescription. We're also going to do a strep test and take a throat culture to see if it's uh, bacterial. So they do a rapid strep test, no strep, no strep. So they take the throat culture and they said, here's what you could do. I'm going to give you this prescription for antibiotics now. You can go fill it now. And then if the throat culture comes back negative, you don't have to take, you know, stop taking the antibiotics. Or um, I said, well, can I just wait and see what the throat culture says? It's supposed to be back within 24 hours, which would have been Sunday afternoon. She says, yes, you can. I don't like to overdo these antibiotics because uh, I'm concerned about resistance for when I really need it for something. I also don't like the role that it plays on your stomach. So anyway, Sunday comes around. My throat still hurts. Throat still hurts. So I go and get these antibiotics as I'm still waiting for these throat culture results. And last night I took the, um, the antibiotic for the first time, just one. And amoxicillin, Rachel encouraged me to. And I'm still waiting for this throat culture. Um, my throat is feeling a little better, I do have to tell you. But, my goodness, um, in terms of what that antibiotic did to my stomach, it was a photo finish for me to get to the bathroom as I was driving here. It was really rough. And as I was doing my business, not to be too graphic, I could smell the antibiotic. So I think my initial instinct might have been right about trying to hold off on that antibiotic. But now that's the case. I am. I did take an antibiotic. I'm supposed to take it twice a day. So hopefully the throat culture comes back and it's no big deal. Until next hour, your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. By the way, uh, not only will I be with you until 5 o'clock this morning, 
But I got the call last night that uh, I will be on uh, with Sid Rosenberg off this week. I will be substituting for Sid for the first, first hour of the Bernie and Sid show all week. Uh, so I'm going to be on with Bernie McGurk from 6 a.m. until 7 o'clock all week. That is the plan. And uh, it's funny. <laughs> I'm excited. Uh, but... Um, I told my wife, so normally I come home around 6.30, and I filled in on the Bernie and Sid show before, and I, I love doing it. I mean, they have just such a great show and a monstrous audience. But I, um, I told my wife when I got the word from our program director, at John Katzmatidi's request, by the way, I told her, well, honey, I have good news and I have bad news. Because keep in mind, you know, I normally get home around 6.30, and I'll look after the baby so that she can sleep a little bit. Uh, until, you know, until she starts her work day around 8, 30, 9 o'clock. And I said, well, I'm, you know, Sid is off this coming week. And she said, oh, no. She, she had a feeling what was happening. I said, and I've been asked to fill in. But that means I'm going to be leaving the station at 7 every day instead of 5. And uh, she said, well, what is the good news? So she didn't view it the same as the same opportunity that I do. Uh, but I'm excited. So uh, tuned into the Bernie and Sid show from 6 to 7. Hopefully I won't say or do anything to embarrass you. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to win over a few converts to this uh, to the other side of midnight. Now, a couple quick things. Those of you that are holding, I'll get to your calls. I, you know, one of the things I love to do on this show is study unsolved mysteries have people on who are experts, who are researchers, who have different theories about all sorts of unsolved mysteries. We were talking last week about the Lindbergh kidnapping. There's a lot of people who have alternative views of the kidnapping, uh, meaning they think that the person that was put to death might not have been the person that was actually responsible for it. And, you know, I'm always trying to make a list of the different unsolved mysteries that are worth exploring. And we've explored a bunch. We've explored the uh, disappearance of Jimmy Hoffa and what became of Jimmy Hoffa's remains. We've explored the assassinations of uh, John F. Kennedy, Robert F. Kennedy, and Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, We've explored whether or not there are still Vietnam POWs left in Vietnam, you know, after the war in Laos and Vietnam. We've explored the Roswell incident. In 1947, Six Ways from Sunday, and other similar UFO flying saucer incidents. But I thought it might be fun to invite you to help me make a list of different unsolved mysteries that might be fun to explore on a future show. So, for instance, there's a lot of people that believe the famous artist Vincent Van Gogh didn't, uh, didn't kill himself but that he was killed. So yesterday I reached out to somebody trying to arrange a segment on Vincent Van Gogh. There's a lot of people that don't believe the official story about the Malaysian flight 370, that it was shot down. A lot of people believe something else happened there. So I'm curious, I'd like your help in making a list. 800-848-9222. What unsolved mystery would you like to see us explore on a future show, especially if it's one that we haven't done previously. I'd love to, you know, get a list of 40 different, 50 different unsolved mysteries. And then, you know, this afternoon as I'm up with Carmine, 
start reaching out to subject matter experts and various theorists on that front. 800-848-WABC. And if you don't get through on the phones, you can email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. As I said, those of you that are holding on other topics, I'll get to you. Uncle Floyd coming up at 3.30. Commendations coming up at 3 o'clock. Michael's in Cliffside Park. Hello, Michael. Yeah, I agree with you 1,000% on Israel not giving Ukraine that Iron Dome. I mean, is, is the president of Ukraine out of his mind? He wants Israel to make an enemy of Russia to save Ukraine's rear end? What business do they have? Do they, have? they have to look out at their own country, just like America should look out for its own country. Right? America isn't giving him that technology, and we're a hell of a lot stronger than Israel. Well, Michael, I mean, Israel's a th- little yeah. country. Well, thank you, Michael. I, I, I'm not taking a position on whether or not um, the, they should give the Iron Dome technology to Ukraine. Uh, what I am saying is that it was way out of line for Zelensky to sort of call out Israel and invoke the Holocaust. The whole reason Israel exists is to provide a so so that there are no Jewish refugees. So uh, I'm not saying that, you know, it's right or wrong to give them the Iron Dome technology. I'm sure there's a case can be made on both sides. What I am saying is it's very wrong to publicly humiliate Naftali Bennett, who I think has been behaving as a responsible world leader here, and 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 invoke the Holocaust. I, I, I that was a bridge too far for me. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Bob in Bayside, you have an unsolved mystery we should explore on a future show. Yeah, Frank, I have two actually. One is the uh, the famous Brinks robbery that I think uh, was uh, profiled in uh, Goodfellas. Oh, are you talking about the Lufthansa heist? Uh, the Lufthansa, I'm so yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a good one. I've actually spent some time exploring that with Tony DiStefano, but that's a good one. And the other one I have is uh, the famous serial killer, the Zodiac Killer. You know, it's from- funny. Somebody else recently suggested that we do a show on the Zodiac Killer. I actually think it's a great idea, and uh, and we will. We will. That's a good okay. one. Okay. Uh, All right. Good stuff. Thank you, Bob. 800-848-WABC. If you have a solution in terms of an unsolved mystery, we should explore for a future show. Again, if you're holding on other issues as well, you can comment. Wilford is in Newark. Hello, Wilford. Hello. Hello. I wanted, I'm a Vietnam veteran, Purple Heart, and I look at everything from a patriotic view once I found out that we were losing all these wars. That weren't really wars. But anyway, about that, what do you call it, DSL? DSM-5, yes. Okay, look at it this way. You see what's happening to the country now to make, got rid of the Boy Scouts, right? And now they want guys, say they're a woman, and then they can compete. Well, if they was to push that thing, like you said, make it a mental disease, then they could... You know, they could turn the mental disease into, like, just like they do with hate crimes. You know, now if you say something to somebody bad, you know, it's a hate crime. You get arrested, you know? Well, uh, well the Constitution, for... yes. No, no, I, look, I, I am not a big believer 
that we should be punishing mission for crimes. I think we should punish action. I've never loved the idea oh, of yeah, no, I hear you, and thank you for your service in oh. Vietnam as well. I've never loved the idea of hate crimes. Now, it's easy for me to say I've never been the victim of a hate crime. If I had a a friend or a loved one that was murdered because they were gay or because they were black or because they were Asian, I might feel differently. I don't think I would, though. I think I would feel bad uh, if I had the friend that was murdered because they were gay because they were murdered. So, um, I I mean, that's a whole separate discussion, a whole separate discussion. I don't necessarily think it – has anything to do with the DSM-5. 800-848-9222. Gary is in Inwood. Gary, you have some unsolved mystery suggestions? Yes, I do. Good morning, Frank. Morning. I have four off the top of my head. Great. Uh, first would be Amelia Earhart. That's a good one. That's actually on my list already. That's good. Amelia Earhart. Glenn Miller. Go- Glenn Miller or Gordon Miller? No, Glenn Miller. Glenn Miller. The band leader? Yeah. Never solved? Yeah. You know, was that never solved? No, that was never solved. I didn't know that. I love his music. That's uh, that's a good one. I love that. Just a missing plane. Uh, Judge Crater. Judge Crater. Yeah, well, they thought there was a breakthrough on that case about um, about seventeen years ago. It turned out not to be the case, but that's a good one. And Michael Rockefeller. Michael Rockefeller. You know, I'm embarrassed to admit it, Gary. I don't know that I'm up on what happened with Michael Rockefeller. Uh, Educate son me. of uh, son of the former governor. Uh, Lost in the Amazon. Really? Huh. Okay. I like it. Um, uh, Thank you very much. You know, one of the other things that I'd love to revisit, and we spent a lot of time talking about it, uh, was the death of General Patton. Because a lot of people believe General Patton was killed. Uh, But what we're doing now, I'm taking your suggestions on different unsolved mysteries we can delve into and explore in a future show. 800-848-WABC. Got Vincent Van Gogh, the Malaysia Flight 370, um, the Lufthansa heist, the Zodiac Killer, Amelia Earhart, Glenn Miller, Judge Crater, Michael Rockefeller. What do you have? 800-848-9222. Joe is in Queens. Hello, Joe. Yeah, yeah. I got three things I'll bring up. One was uh, how did Franklin Roosevelt actually die? There's some questions about that. Uh, okay. You know, okay. big question marks about what actually happened to him. That's one. Uh, what were what Nazis actually ended up in South America? You know, what's the skinny on that? We know some of them that were there. You know, uh, who exactly and and how did they interact while they were there? You know, and what were they up to? And then, uh, as far as Michael Rockefeller, I believe it wasn't the Amazon, but he he was in a boat that capsized off of Papua New Guinea, and uh, two other people stayed with the boat. He swam to the island and uh, was never saw, heard from again. They say he might have been cannibalized. <laughs> mm. That, uh, well, that's uh, certainly a, an auspicious way to go. Thank you. 800-848-WABC. Bob's in Long Beach. Bob, what do you have for us? Jack the Ripper, Frank. That is a great one. I'm embarrassed that we yeah. haven't done that one already because that's a, a subject that I've always yeah. been interested in. I'm going to put that on my list for I, this week. That's fascinating. You know, if you know who really solved the crime, then he was told to shut up with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. She was the guy who wrote Sherlock Holmes. Sure, I know that. And if you ever, and I want to hear the rest of what you were going to say, but if you ever 
see the film time after time with uh, Malcolm McDowell, which is a, a great film, and Mary Steenburgen. The 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 premise of that plot largely is H.G. Wells being friends with Jack the Ripper, and then they end up in you know night late nineteen seventies New York. Wow! Have time you seen the film? Have you seen the film? No, I haven't seen. I've seen other ones like uh, Frederick March, The Lodger. Yeah, I've not seen that one. I've never seen that one. Yeah, well, that was an old one. But what what you call is, the thing is, they think, so Arthur Conan Doyle found out, he says that it was uh, a member of the royal family. And the minute he told the royal family, it stopped. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, you know what? Every year or two, there's a new story or new evidence about Jack the Ripper. Usually it's somebody trying to sell a book or promote a documentary. And I don't begrudge them for that. I mean, look, we're all trying to do the same thing here. We're all trying to get attention for what we're doing. But, um, you know, you wonder how much is hype that's publicity for sales sake and how much is an honest accounting of the of the facts. Walt is in Yonkers. Hello, Walt. Yes, uh, good morning, Frank. I have two. Uh, the first one is John Benet Ramsey. You know, that's a good one, too. Uh, they thought, you know, they had the killer. It was that guy who looks like the governor of uh, Connecticut, Ned Lamont, and uh, it turned out not to be him. And what's your other one? The other one is, uh, I believe his first name is D.B. Cooper. Oh, no, D.B. Cooper. Yeah, the guy who parachuted over somewhere in, uh, in the uh, Midwest or... Somewhere around uh, between Seattle and Utah, somewhere around there, Montana. That, that's a good one. Some, that's a good one. He, some money in there. You know, I've heard of reports and documentaries, but I kind of find it a little fugazi, you know? I, 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 I agree with you. I think that's a good, that's a fine, fine one. We will delve into that in a future show. This is a good list here. This is going to be the most productive 10 minutes of my day today because this afternoon I am just going to spend three hours looking for experts on every one of these. And, you know, one of the things that Ellen suggested, is, and I think it's a good idea, is getting dueling experts on, like on the Lindbergh baby, for instance, one person who thinks that there was, uh, that believes the official story, one person that does not. And we've done that with JFK in the past. It is tough to get um, experts on dueling, on these, these especially very niche experts, to get them to stay up until 1, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning. But it's not impossible. It just takes a little bit of work. 800-848-9222. Speaking of Ellen, she writes in the Facebook group, uh, here's a good unsolved mystery. Who took your other side of Midnight Mug? You know, honestly, that is a good I mean, that is a good one. Who did take it? Uh, who would do that? Just take a mug that doesn't belong to them and take it home? Matt, you have a theory? You, I saw you, you visibly reacted on that one. About taking what home? On the other side of Midnight Travel Mug? The who took it home? Maybe Prometheus. Mm-hmm. Hijacked it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very, That's an very unsolved interesting. mystery. Very interesting. Diane in Brooklyn. Hello, Diane. 
Hi. Okay, I can't think of his name, but you'll know it. He was a great judge on the Supreme Court, a great conservative, and he was given some kind of uh, 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 lodging in some hotel in, in some little out-of-the-way place, I think, in Texas. Remember? Uh, are you talking about Justice, Justice Scalia? Yes. You know, that was interesting. Other people have brought that up um, to me. I've uh, I've looked into that with some people that are close to him, and they don't believe there was anything um, suspicious. The fact that there was no autopsy, that is a little suspicious. I don't think there's anything there. And my friend Arthur was very close to him and is very close with the family. He's looked into this thoroughly, so I don't think there's anything there. But whatever, we'll put it on the list. I'm sure there's somebody that disagrees. Kevin in Newton, New Jersey. What do you got for us, Kevin? Good morning, good morning Frank. Yeah, I had someone already mentioned what I was going to say, but I wanted to make a correction for you real quick. Time After Time, which is a great movie, and I'm glad you recognized it. They were in San Francisco, not New York. I said New York. Did I say New York? You did say New York. Uh, it's San Francisco. Yeah. I, I didn't, I, yeah, I didn't. I wasn't conscious of saying. Uh, no, no, no big deal. No, no, yeah. no big deal. Uh, it's been a while since I saw sense. the picture. So. It didn't make no. Me too. It's like late seventies. But the, the the funny thing about that film is like, well, the time machine took off because it's a real book. He's still in the same place. How they get from London to, to San Francisco? Well, whatever. That's unexplained in itself. But yeah, the yeah. actor who played, you know, the actor who played Jack the Ripper was a very good. David actor. David Warner. David Warner, excellent. Yeah, that yeah, it was. Yeah, the other conspiracy. I can't oh, wait, think by the way, before we before we move off the yeah, time after time for are you a Star Trek fan? I'm a big Star Trek fan. Okay, so now you know the I history told you about Star Trek. Right, that's yes, right. Okay, yeah. so you know the history of those actors when it comes to Star Trek, right? Well, David Warner was in. He, he, he was. He was. He played the Cardassian who interrogated Picard. You know, well, so that I wasn't I wasn't even thinking that, but I was thinking David Warner played in Star Trek six Chancellor Gorkin. Oh, the Klingon. You know, I didn't like Star Trek. I didn't like Star Trek six. You didn't like I, Star I, I Trek six? Not not particularly. What but, the hell's but, the I'm matter not, with you, Kevin? That's movie's not, great. Nothing. 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 Movie's not, great. I know Malcolm. I One know of the best Malcolm movies McDowell. ever made. Oh, okay. Well, I'll, I'll have to review it again. Yeah. Malcolm McDowell was in. The Star Trek, uh, the one with, with Kirk and Picard. Yeah, Generations. But, but just also on the David Kirk. Warner front, what I was going to say is he yes. not only was in Star Trek VI as Chancellor Gorkin, he was in Star Trek V as the Tem- the Terran ambassador to Nimbus III. Um, I'm going to have to re. I'm going to have to re-review. And, those. and uh, uh, just just let me say this: go ahead, go the, ahead, the director finish. of that film, um, Time After Time, was Nicholas Meyer, who then went right. on to direct both Star Trek II. And Star Trek Six. Well, he directed. He directed the Wrath of Khan. Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. That that's that's an excellent trivia. But uh, I'll give you one more thing on David Warner. He he plays. He's in one of my favorite Steve Martin movies. He, if you ever saw The Man with Two Brains. Oh, I love that picture. Love it. The Man with Two Brains is one of my favorite Steve Martin films. Well, I can't say it on the air. My favorite line in the film is when he's thinking of having his. Uh, you know, David uh, Warner is playing the another crazy brain uh, surgeon. Or who's experimenting with some chemical, and it's Sissy Spacek is the voice of the disembodied brain, and and then and he and he says I can I can implant the brain in a gorilla, and Steve Martin says I couldn't f a gorilla, <laughs> which is <laughs> which is uh, one of the funniest lines in all of them. You have a mystery suggestion? Uh, uh, not I, I had some someone else someone else had one earlier, and oh, okay. I got the all same right. one. All so good. I'm having a brain cramp, but I want to apologize to you too because I called because you you actually repeated my call to Curtis. And I wasn't trying to mess. I was just trying to like stir Curtis up when I did. I'm the one who suggested to him that uh, 
that uh, that that you were the uh, Henry Hill of the, of the station, you know. So I I didn't mean that as a Kevin. As a I, I, I tell you, I, all of my um, all of my angst is for the guy that didn't appreciate the qu- hat that he won over the cottage cheese question. Uh, yes, do not. Gina is in Brooklyn. Hello, Gina. Hi, Frank. Frank, I'm not having any luck, but I mean, I did get the cap that you sent me, and I thank you. I sent you a card, and it came back to me. So that's really? one thing. And then I. I sent you the email uh, the other night about the Atlantic City trip, and that didn't go through either, but your call screener gave me the correct address. I forgot the W. But the two um, uh, mysteries that I'm thinking of is um, Flight 800. Do we know more about that? Well, that's a good one. Um, I've actually done a fair amount of TWA Flight 800, but that's a good one. We can always revisit that. There's still a lot of lingering questions about that. And Dorothy Kilgallen. Well, again, we've done that at length with, uh, with um, you know, the gentleman who wrote the book, the reporter who too, who knew too much, Mark Shaw. He, he three great books all about Dorothy Kilgallen. We've we've done that one. I'm not putting that one on my list. What I'm really looking for is unsolved mysteries that we have not done on the show before. Obviously, we've done Long Island serial killer. We've done Roswell. We've done Bigfoot. Uh, we've done you know a, a Vietnam POWs. What else? What's an unsolved mystery that you don't feel you've ever – we've done 9-11 that you don't feel we've ever gotten proper satisfaction for? 800-848-WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. We'll continue with your calls in just a moment. Still to come, uh, we have um, the great Uncle Floyd Vivino and commendations coming up at 6 a.m. Hear me on the Bernie and Sid show. You want to comment on uh, anything we don't get to and you're not able to get through on the phones – you can always email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Straight ahead. WABC. This is The Other Side with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. This, of course, the great Glenn Miller, who I didn't realize was, uh, uh, you know, the subject of a mystery. So the uh, the Academy Awards are rapidly approaching, and uh, every year um, I try the same thing, and I've done this maybe the last eleven years. It's next Sunday. It's six days from now, and every year I try to do the same thing from the time the uh, nominations come out. Until the actual ceremony, I try to see everything, every film nominated in every category. And some years I am very close. I've never done it. I've never seen every film in every category. There have been years where I've been one or two short, especially on the foreign films, because they don't always release them in a timely manner in the United States. So I've never done it before the ceremony. I get them done eventually. But I... um. I always try. This year, this year, I 
have seen almost nothing. And it has been, obviously, most of my time is spent uh, looking after, and my wife's time is spent looking after a uh, young man. But um, we we really um, have not seen anything. So we're trying to see a film here and there, at least between now and next Sunday, so that we could see something. So we wanted to see Coda. Coda has a lot of nominations. And it's um, the one, my sister, Claudia, was not impressed with any of the Oscar-nominated films. But she liked liked Coda. So uh, she said that was the only one she really enjoyed. And I thought she said to me, Oh, you know, it's available for free on whatever streaming platform. There are too many streaming platforms. I can't keep track of what's what's what. And I try to go into a film knowing nothing. I try to go in being a clean slate so that any preconceived notions that I have about a subject that they're they're not, you know, they they're not they don't alter my enjoyment of the film. So I was looking forward to seeing Coda. So Friday, Friday evening, I stayed in with Rachel, and we were all set to watch Coda. We have one of those smart televisions where you just speak into the remote control, and it brings up whatever you want to watch. Now, I had just finished watching the most recent episode of Star Trek Picard, which I am loving, by the way. Again, I recognize that the latest, that there there, there are some recycled themes, recycled stories in this season, but so what? It's still great. Just to see Patrick Stewart as Picard is just great. So I say Coda into my remote control. And then up pops a film called Coda starring Patrick Stewart. I said, huh, I didn't know Patrick Stewart was in this. Imagine my good fortune. Patrick Stewart's in it. And then I see Katie Holmes, who's also a very talented actor. She's in it. Now... It's available on Apple TV for 99 cents. I said, honey, you know, do you want to watch this for 99 cents or do you want to you want to watch one of the free films uh, that that's part of a platform we already have? So she said, no, let's order it. We'll spring for the 99 cents. So we do that. We order this and we have 48 hours to watch it. We're watching it and I'm enjoying it. It's uh, Patrick Stewart as a. Uh, a, a great concert pianist. It's really just, it's, I'm liking it. But I'm starting to fade a little bit because, you know, I'm tired. Don't get a lot of sleep. And my wife is saying, you know, I don't want to watch the rest of this with you falling asleep. And then she puts on something else. She says, well, I don't want you sleeping through the film. So as she pauses, we figure out that the coda we've been watching is not the coda that's nominated for an Academy Award. It's the wrong coda. It's a coda from 2020, not 2021. We were watching the wrong film. My wife was outraged. Outraged. Not because she didn't enjoy the film, but because our time is just so precious, and now we've we've made such little progress with these Oscar-nominated films to begin with that we now had to waste 20 minutes watching the wrong film. And I said, honey, well, we've already invested the 99 cents. Do you want to finish the film? And she says, no, forget the 99 cents. Let's watch this correct film. So we watched an hour of the proper film, Coda, 
And then we uh, saw an hour of it uh, the following day. I got to tell you, this film is terrific. Absolutely terrific. I loved it. It was a little predictable. I, I think within 15 minutes, you could see where the whole film was going. That's the only knock against it. This movie is wonderfully made. Um, there were not a lot of actors in it that I was familiar with. I think it's a remake of a French film. The only actress that I really knew in it was Marley Matlin, who was, uh, she, she's probably the most famous deaf actress in the world. Uh, she won an Academy Award, first deaf actress ever to win an Academy Award for Children of a Lesser God. But uh, she also, um, she was on Seinfeld. She was on West Wing. She's terrific. She's a very good actress. And I have to tell you, this film was so moving. It's funny at times. It's dramatic at times. It's uh, very compelling. It's not too long, which is uncharacteristic of most Oscar-nominated films. And I, uh, I really loved it. By the end of the film, I was in tears. I look at my wife. She's crying, too. So we both love this film. And it's funny. I think what makes this film is uh, the acting. And I don't remember what Debbie Schlussel said about it. I have to go back and uh, check my notes if, if she reviewed this. But um, when you think of that, what makes this film is the acting. And when you think of acting, you think of a medium that's both visual and auditory. And, you know, um, that's why I enjoy watching talking films better than silent films. There are three actors in this film that don't say a word. They only communicate in sign language. And then there's one other actor who about half her lines are in sign language. The acting done, and I don't know if all three of those actors are deaf. I know Marley Matlin is deaf, deaf, but I don't know about the other three. The other, uh, yeah, the other three. The acting done by these actors using only sign language is phenomenal. It's phenomenal. So I can see why uh, my my um, my wife, uh, I mean, excuse me, my sister said that uh, this was her favorite of all of the of the uh, Academy Award nominated films. It, um, it it was really really terrific. So I think that um, you'll like it. I can't imagine what even my dad who hates everything. He enjoyed it. And uh, he he is a tough tough critic. 800-848-9222 still taking your calls on different unsolved mysteries. Or anything else we've covered thus far. Uh, Neil on Staten Island has been patiently holding. Hello, Neil. Hey, Frank. Uh, before I talk about Zelensky, the biggest mystery of the century is why Curtis can't name his show what he wants. He can. He can. <laughs> that's, that's not according to him, Frank. He said you're preventing him. <laughs> yeah, please. Uh, the day I can prevent Curtis from doing anything is a day that uh, doesn't have a why in it. Uh, I agree with you, Frank. Anyway, about Zelensky. Yeah, he wants the Iron Dome. Uh, the Iron Dome is the United States system. It uses Patriot missiles. If Israel doesn't have the Iron Dome to give to him, the U.S. would have to give it to him. So I, I don't, I, he's asking the wrong country. And for him to bring up the Holocaust, it, it is true that the, the Ukrainians, they weren't Jewish-friendly during the war, Frank. They were very, uh, very close to the Nazis. They were Nazi sympathizers. I mean, you know, we gave them almost a billion dollars in aid so far. 
Why don't they ask Germany for some aid? They use the Russian oil or France or England. Why are we giving everything? You know, Frank, I didn't sign up to to pay through the nose for a tank of gas or inflation, all the problems we have here. We have our own problems. We gave him enough, Frank. I, I sympathize with them. It's a terrible thing what they're going through. But Europe has to step up. Europe has to give them more than they're given. It's not our problem, Frank. To, well, Neil, to- I think you know, you've heard enough shows uh, that, you know, my approach to foreign policy is that we should always view things through the lens of what's good for America. And in general, I am for staying out of uh, foreign conflicts that don't directly involve the United States. I guess the counter-argument to that, Neil, Neil, thanks for the call. The counter-argument to that is part of the reason Russia invaded Ukraine is because of the United States. It's the United States inching Zelensky and Ukraine closer and closer to NATO That was one of the prime reasons that Putin was ticked off about this. Additionally, you have a situation where um, the United States in 2014, we helped foment a coup of a democratically elected president. Do you think if Viktor Yanukovych was still in office that there would be missiles raining down upon civilian sites in Ukraine? Now, that doesn't exclude uh, that doesn't excuse Putin's conduct at all. But no. So, you know, I, I think it was uh, it might have been Colin Powell that said this initially that uh, w- with respect to the war in Iraq, you break it, you bought it. We put Ukraine in this position. So we have, I think, some responsibility to help in terms of humanitarian aid. I don't think we should be sending lethal aid, but I think we have some responsibility to help in terms of u- humanitarian aid. And I'd like to see our president do what the Israeli prime minister is doing, trying to work out a diplomatic end to this, at least get a ceasefire going right away. 800-848-9222. Oh, so anyway, just on the CODA situation. So I was up, the, the baby was crying Saturday morning around 1.30 in the morning. So I have such a bizarre sleep schedule. It's difficult for me to just snap back to going back to a regular sleep schedule on the weekend, as much as I try. So once Carmine was up, I was up. I was up until about 6 a.m. Saturday morning. And there's only so much Curtis you can listen to, am I right? I mean, after the the fifth call he takes of somebody ranting against me for 12 minutes, I said, all right, I throw in the towel, enough is enough. And after the 10th misstatement of fact, uh, I said, all right, I'm in. Meantime, we only have 30 hours left or 38 hours left on this other coda with Patrick Stewart. So I said, let me try and watch the rest of the coda. So I ended up watching the rest of the other coda with Patrick Stewart. I love that, too. Again, another film. I don't think that was predictable. And the acting from both Patrick Stewart and Katie Holmes and the guy that plays Gustavo Fring on Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, he's in it as well in a good role. Really well done. And uh, I wouldn't exactly consider myself a lover of classical piano music. The music is phenomenal. The way these scenes are executed is great. And the story I found very good. And uh, Patrick Stewart is just phenomenal and everything. So I actually do recommend both CODAs, uh, both the modern CODA and the one from two years ago. But keep in mind, if you have Apple TV and you want to watch the Patrick Stewart CODA, you'll have to pay 99 cents. 800-848-9222. Dale is in South Carolina. Hello, Dale. Hey, how you doing there, fella? 
Um, you were talking about um, uh, Jack the Ripper. I was. Okay. Now, the subject that y'all were talking about, you know, America, right? Right. Okay. How did he get over to America? Was that the uh, understanding? Well, yeah. Well, again, we were talking about a, a fictitious movie. It's a fictitious movie, but the understanding of, of of the movie itself, it starts with the bridge. I think the London Bridge or something. They were oh, that's right. That's right. And, and they moved it to America. Now, he's running across this bridge. And he got struck with something. Ah. I don't know if they shot him or what, but anyway, the wooden stakes on the bridge got his blood, right? So they put this bridge up in the middle of the desert. (laughs) And then some, some hours later or whatever, they show the spot where he had bled. Now remember, Jack the Ripper gets away, but this blood starts bubbling and it forms him. No, no, I, I, I don't remember that. Uh, but again, well, Dale, it's been 20, I, it's been, and thanks for the call, Dale. It's been 20 years since I've seen the film. After the Oscars are over, I will check it out again. It's been a long time. So, I, I look, I, I don't remember much of it. I remember liking it. I like the story. I remember the story. I remember the three lead actors. But, um, you know, the, the nuances of certain aspects of the plot, I don't remember. All right, the Fugazi Tom in the Bronx. Hello. Yeah, hi Frank. How about uh, Bob Crane? Was that ever solved? Um, no. And you know, it's funny. That's a good one. And also, a lot of people believe that um, the the first the, one of the actors that played Superman, George Reeves. A lot of people yeah. believe that there was something suspicious about his killing. A lot of them don't believe the official story about a suicide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to put Bob Crane oh. on the list. That's a good one. Okay, thank you. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Eight hundred eight or good morning. Eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. That's eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let me say hello to Harriet in Sheepshead Bay. Hello, Harriet. Oh, Frank. Thank you again for taking my call. Sure, thanks for calling. Speaking with you. Likewise, Uh, Frank. um, uh, You're a history buff, and so am I. And if you remember in Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, Harrison Ford's states uh when he sees the ark of the covenant uh he states uh this is not part of history this is history well uh, uh this is a really great topic uh years back i heard a rabbi am i coming in okay Frank? yeah i hear you perfectly harriet uh, okay th- thank you uh there was a rabbi on one of the radio shows and he um writes a report the ark report about the ark of the covenant he states that uh, the Ark of the Covenant is basically under the Temple Mount, and it has been there for ad infinitum ever since, you know, the Roman occupation or Babylon, whatever, they had to take it out. But he states that it was hidden under um, the, uh, under the way under the foundation of uh, the Temple Mount. And uh, he also states that, um, oh, at one time, a Jewish priest saw a light emanating from one of the tiles um, in the Temple Mount area. He came by, he took a look, and this light radiated out, and uh, it uh, incinerated him. Uh, uh, so it, this is um, uh, a fantastic uh, topic, and uh, if, if there would be some way for you to reach that rabbi who... Yeah, uh, that's a, the, that, the, you know, that's a great idea, and I'm looking at this yeah. book now, The Ark Report, 
And um, yeah. th- this, I- I'm putting this down. That 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 is a perfect unsolved mystery for yeah, a future absolutely show. Absolutely unbelievable, unbelievable. And could, could I just ask ask uh, one thing? Sure. Um, I I was uh, Curtis. Uh, Guy took my call, but my multi-lock broke, so I had to hang up. Uh, I think a great title for a show might be the uh, Curtis Chronicles uh, after the Adams Chronicles. <laughs> uh, that's not bad. But, well, I think, um, you know, it might be too similar to Dominic Carter's The Chronicles of Carter. But that's not bad. Oh, I, I didn't like know that. that. I didn't know that, yeah. But that's I, I like no, the alliteration. But honestly, nobody's absolutely. forcing Curtis to change the name. He could just call it The Other Side of Midnight, whatever. Nobody's forcing it. I mean, this is, again, this is a way for Curtis to kill two hours on the weekend, you know? But uh, thank yeah. you, Harriet. 800-848-WABC. Uh, let me say hello to – you know what we'll do? We'll do our – which I liked the other day, our, our new um, first on – first – on first on method, uh, we'll we'll reward people that have been holding the longest. Let's say hello to Carol in New Jersey, uh, who's been holding a while. Hello, Carol. Hey, Frank, how are you? Always enjoy listening to you. I think Coda is going to win the Oscar. Well, That's I didn't see opinion. most of the other films yet, but um, if it does, I would be pretty pleased. It's a great film. And you know, I got to tell you about Kenneth Branagh. Because I lived in England for a while, and I used to go um, to the Royal Shakespeare Company, and I met him a couple of times, and he is absolutely fantastic. He's got a great voice, and I would love to see him win the Oscar for Belfast, because I'm from there. I mean, part of my family is from there, but he's got the most fantastic voice. In the world, and he's not too bad looking either. He, no, he's a great actor, and I caught him recently. And thanks for the call, Carol. I caught him recently. He was on Real Time with Bill Maher, and he did a great interview. And I'm interested in seeing this film. I think the next film we're going to see. Who knows if we're going to see it by Sunday? Sometimes it takes us a month now to see a film. Um, the next film we're going to see is uh, The Power of the Dog, which has 12 nominations. So at least we can check off a bunch of categories. That's going to be the next film we see. Uh, all right, who's been holding the next long? Larry is in Brooklyn. Hello, Larry. Hi, Frank. Uh, listen, you know, as far as Zelensky goes, um, I really think that you're way off, and I, I really think you misspoke. I, I mean, I would even say, how dare you? I mean, this guy is having bombs dropped all around him, and you're calling him unglued. I mean, I'm unglued just hearing the news about it. Can you imagine if, you re- if you're Zelensky? Now, I'll, I want to say something about Israel. Okay, Israel should act because of the fact that they experienced the Holocaust. This is a Holocaust, okay? Uh, don't say there's no comparison, and I'll tell you why. I had a friend of mine explain the whole thing. He's a brilliant guy. He told me the reason Putin is killing civilians, it's intentional. He's going after civilians intentionally. This is not a war strategy. He's doing it because his men don't really want to fight. They're killing their brothers. The Ukrainians and the Russians are related and the men are are not really fighting that hard. So he to win the war, he has to kill civilians. That's genocide. I don't care if your army doesn't want to fight. You you lay you make a truce, okay? You go deliberately kill. That's what Hitler did. Hitler deliberately wiped out the Jews during the war. That was genocide. Israel should get involved, but they can because of Biden. If they had Trump in office. Trump would have their back. I don't mean get involved in the sense that send troops to fight. But I would surround 
If, if I was the prime minister of Israel, I would do this even without Biden. I would sur- take volunteers, and I'm sure Israel would have volunteers. They're very brave people. I would fly jets around Zelensky, okay, and I would create a no-fly zone around Zelensky and, to tell, and tell Putin, listen, he's Jewish. You, you want to say Russia, rah, rah, rah? We're saying we're protecting a fellow Jew. Okay, and shoot that. You want to have a dog fight with Israeli jet? I don't think. Yeah, no, Larry, I I appreciate the um, the call. I I don't agree. I I think the way Bennett is handling this is the right method. Um, And I, you want to say, you know, uh, Biden is handcuffing Bennett. I I don't know if you've heard Naftali Bennett throughout his whole political career. That is not a guy that's going to listen to Joe Biden. Okay, Uh, Naftali Bennett is as much of a nationalist as anyone. He's as uh, This is not me calling him a name. This is how he calls himself. He's as much of a right-winger as anyone. And to say that uh, he's not going to do what he thinks is best for Israel because of Joe Biden, I think is short-sighted, and I, I think it's unfair uh, to Prime Minister Bennett. So I completely agree. And, uh, look, I think a no-fly zone, whether it's set up by Israel, the United States, or by Ukraine with American military prowess, I think a no-fly zone basically is a recipe for World War III. And as terrible as what we're seeing in this war is, I don't think uh, that there's a comparison with the Holocaust at all. And I think um, I think Zelensky was trying to tug on the heartstrings of, uh, of Israel and Jews in the West by invoking it. And I, I think it was inappropriate. But that's my opinion. Uh, the nice thing about this show is you can give your opinion and uh, let me know what you think. 800-848-9222. All right, who's been holding the next longest? Uh, Paul in Orange County. What's on your mind, Paul? Uh, yeah, I first called to talk about uh, Biden's appointment to the Supreme Court and her little fascination with pedophiles mm-hmm. that has just recently been uh, uncovered. What is uh, your thought about that? Uh, you know, is that somebody that she represented as a public defender? No, it's just uh, the, the way that she has spoken about a couple of uh, couple of cases about pedophiles and their whole. Well, what did she say? Fill of, us in. I, I don't. I'm not up on this. Fill I, us in. I, I, I forget what she said, but it, 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 there's like five or six instances where she has like not sided with him, but. Wanted to you know, like get into their mind as to why they're watching pornography or blah 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 blah. But but what did uh, she actually do? What's what's one instance? What did she do? Well, I guess she's fascinated by their mindset, and uh, I don't know about maybe being lessened the sentences or letting people go um, because it, it, <laughs> that's just you know. It's just just not right. All right. Well, I, again, I'm not clear what what she did, Paul. But uh, again, I, just doing a quick uh, Google search on this. Um, you know, apparently uh, there was a child porn case um, in which Josh Hawley accused her of giving a lesser sentence than what the federal guidelines provide. And look, um, again, it looks like there's some truth to that. It looks like um, she did give a little bit of a lesser, a lighter sentence than the federal guidelines suggest. But this insinuation that she's somehow pro-pedophile, I think it lacks a lot of context, including the fact that um, Josh Hawley himself voted to confirm at least three judges who also engaged in the practice. Now, you got to understand, 
when when someone's a judge, they're not going to decide every case the way that I want to decide it. And they're going to use their judgment. That's why they're judges. I, I don't expect to agree with Judge Katanji Brown Jackson much. I still think that if you're the president, and I said this, I have said this under every president that I've been alive for since I've been able to understand Supreme Court confirmations. I think if you're the president, the Senate should, unless there's a glaring, glaring problem with a nominee in terms of qualifications or education, I think you should confirm that person. I think you should defer to the Senate. I don't think um, not liking her decisions on one thing or two things or three things, I don't think it's, I don't think that is a reason to rejects a, a Supreme Court nominee, personally. But maybe that's why I'm not in the United States Senate. We'll continue with your calls in just a moment. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. This is Leave the Door Open by Anderson, Pack, Bruno Mars, and Silk Sonic. This is one of mine or one of yours, uh, Matt? This is one of mine. This is one of yours. Yeah, it sounds like a Matt like Blaze pick. It's a throwback. Yeah, Bruno not Mars bad. Is, uh, not bad. Not bad. project. Not bad. So, um, I will, I'll get back to your calls in just a minute, then we're going to do commendations at 3 o'clock. The great Uncle Floyd will be here at uh, 3.30. I'm getting a bunch of emails with people who are giving me medical advice about my throat and taking these antibiotics. Um, If you want to email me, I will read your best and worst emails tomorrow. Uh, My email is um, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.morano at w, don't forget the w, abcradio.com. If you want to send us some snail mail, uh, you could email. You could mail us the uh, letter at PO Box seventeen seventy seven. I was listening to Vinny Madunio Saturday on his great show, and he he put it much better than I do. I always say PO Box one seven seven seven. He said it PO Box seventeen seventy seven. It really does roll off your tongue a little bit better that way. So thank you, Vinny Madunio, New York, New York one zero one six three. Just send it to my attention. Frank Morana will read your emails and your letters tomorrow. Now, um, I've been telling you, just a quick update, I've been telling you about how my wife and I have been trying to deal with our son getting baptized because, you know, been trying to nail down a date. And my wife um, it was raised evangelical. I was raised Catholic, but we've been going to Episcopal services, and I have generally tended to identify mostly as an Episcopalian these uh, last few years. And we've been going to this Episcopal church that we really like. And I was trying to get a hold of the priest to see if they could do it on a date that that worked for us. Now, because they said they could only do the Easter Vigil or Pentecostal Sunday. The next day is until October or November, actually. And so I find the priest um, after church and he says, well, you know, keep in mind, he says the Episcopal Church has baptismal days. 
And these are the only days we can do these baptisms. So um, we, he said, but keep in mind, Easter Vigil is Saturday night. It's not Sunday. I said, oh, well, that's interesting. I said, well, maybe we can throw things together for that. And it turns out my brother's out of town for a wedding, so we can't do it that weekend. So now we're not going to be able to do it at the church that we've been attending. So I am hoping to do it at Trinity Church, which is a church that I attended for a few years and really love. It's historic, one of the oldest Episcopal churches in the United States, certainly in New York. Used to be, it's a beautiful building too. So we're, we're, I, I emailed them. I'm waiting to hear back from May 1st. So hopefully that is an end to the, the baptism drama <laughs> of trying to nail this down because at the rate that we're going, kid's going to be 40 by the time he's baptized. So uh, that's where we are on that front. Thanks to everybody that wrote with different suggestions and uh, different things. Those of you that are holding, we will get to you in due time. And uh, we'll do commendations next. But uh, Uncle Floyd coming up at 3.30. Uncle Floyd Vivino, can't wait. Those of you that are holding, don't worry, we'll get to you. In the meantime, help control the pet population. Make sure you get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Good morning, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Uh, thanks for listening. And uh, Molly is off uh, the next two weeks, actually. She's taking a well-deserved vacation. So we have Philippe returning to the call, the Telephone Talent Coordinator's chair in her stead. And I must say, Philippe did a wonderful job printing out the following nine articles that I'm going to comment on. A lot of times when, it, you know, it, some days it's like a, a wish and a prayer to get these articles printed. And I got to tell you. Philippe did a masterful job. So uh, if call screening doesn't work out for him, he could make it as a printer, I think. Those articles are all part of... The Other Side of Midnight presents Commendations. I must begin with a sincere commendation with a woman that you've probably heard a great deal about by now. This woman is very brave, very courageous, and I think deserves a great deal of credit. Marina Avaskanova, uh, she is the editor for Russia's Channel One. She's been fined 30,000 rubles, which is only $290, but she refused to accept a, an asylum offer in France after publicly challenging the Kremlin's narrative about the war in Ukraine on live te- television. So Avaskanova was detained and rapidly fined for barging onto the set of the evening news on last Monday, holding a poster reading, no war, and they lie. And she resigned. She had a good job in the media in Russia, threw it all away to help get the word out about the truth about what Russia and Vladimir Putin are doing. This woman is a real inspiration to all of us that kind of go against the grain from time to time. I also want to give a commendation to UFC fighter Kevin Holland, who, um, you know, I don't know much about Kevin Holland. I don't follow UFC too closely, but this was a story that I just loved. So 
restaurant in Houston, Texas. And evidently, a man was trying to rob the restaurant. And this UFC fighter, Kevin Holland, helped apprehend them. So he was eating sushi with his friend when he heard a loud bang. Loud bang turned out to be a gunshot. And he saw people running away in fear. This guy doesn't run away from the gunshot as everybody else is doing. Holland said he and Robinson saw another man try to wrestle the gun away from the shooter. So Holland and Robinson approached to help disarm the man and detain him until police arrived. So this is incredible. This suspect fired a gun into the air at this restaurant around 11.30 p.m. at night. After the shot went off, the person sitting next to the gunman in the restaurant grabbed his hand, pointed the gun away, and attempted to subdue him as officers were en route. Holland said he didn't know a shot had been fired until he saw people running away. So Holland said he and his friend Robinson got low and ducked for cover, then looked in the direction of the shot. He saw the gunman and the man who grabbed his arm. The gun at that point was facing towards Holland and some of the other patrons. So rather than run away, this fella and his friend went around the other side. He picked up a chair to hit the gunman, but he couldn't tell who the gunman was and who the Good Samaritan was because they were wrestling on the ground. So he noticed the man on the bottom of the skirmish was the one holding the gun. And then he and his friend helped pry the gun out of his hand. He then took the man into his lap, wrapped his legs around his legs, and put him in a rear naked choke submission hold. I mean, that is impressive. And apparently, um, back in October, just two days after a UFC fight, he chased down, uh, you know, um, his vehicle and helped detain a suspected robber back then. I'll tell you, Curtis may have to hand this guy a, a beret and enlist him in the Guardian Angels. This guy's solving a lot of crime. Uh, I want to commend these two Indiana cheerleaders um, that saved a game on Thursday as part of the NCAA tournament. This is Nathan Paris and Cassidy Kearney. So the Indiana Hoosier, you know how how serious Indiana basketball fans take their collegiate basketball. So... The Indiana Hoosiers men's basketball tournament or game during the tournament on Thursday saw a ball get stuck on top of the backboard during their game against St. Mary's in Portland. So the, the Hoosiers cheerleader, Nathan Paris, hoisted the teammate, Cassidy Kearney, 13 feet up in the air to retrieve it. And they saved the day and they provide the tournament's first viral moment. Other than that, but not for these cheerleaders, the ball would have been stuck up there. I mean, I guess they could have gotten a long pole, but it's kind of cool to see a cheerleader get hoisted 13 feet up in the air to save the day. I want to give a commendation to Maury Povich. I learned yesterday that NBC Universal is essentially cancel, canceling Maury. Maury will be wrapping with the current season. They're saying it was a mutual decision by the studio and Maury Povich to end the talk show. Maury Povich has been hosting this show for 30 
years. 30 years. It was launched in 1991, and this show has been a monstrous hit. One of the most difficult things in television or in radio or in the public eye, the media in general, is to have rating success. But the most difficult thing is to have rating success and revenue success and have that last for a long time. Maury Povich did it. I don't care what you think of this show. I don't care if you don't care for that particular brand of entertainment where, you know, mystery fathers and DNA tests. I get it. It's not really my thing either, but I know a lot of people that love it. And whether you love it or you hate it, you can't argue with success. And to have this kind of success as Maury Povich has had for 30 years is remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. So I give a commendation to you, Maury Povich. And I want to give a commendation to the St. Peter's basketball team. St. Peter's, they're saying, is the greatest Cinderella story in the history of the NCAA tournament. I don't know if you saw this on the front page of the New York Post this weekend. I think it was the Sunday New York Post. But they just, the Peacocks, the St. Peter's Peacocks, became just the third number 15 seed to advance to the Sweet 16. That alone is enough to carve out a spot on the short list of the greatest first weekend tournament surprises of all time. So with this inner city underdog, they're from Jersey City, with this inner city underdog accomplished over three days in Indianapolis is stuff they're going to be talking about for years. I'm rooting for these folks. Um, college basketball fans around the country, I'm sure, saw their brackets busted this week with this St. Peter's win. Um, the, the, this is great. I mean, I love a good underdog story. I didn't even know where St. Peter's was. Before this, I'm not even that big of a college basketball fan, but I am a fan of Cinderella stories like this one. 800-848-WABC if you want to comment on uh, anybody that we're commending, by the way. This is very nice. I want to commend the Brazilian tattoo artist, Carla Mendez. This tattoo artist is on a mission to help women who have been wounded from domestic abuse by burns and other physical trauma. They can now seek out relief from this tattoo artist who's transforming scars into beautiful butterflies, flowers, and, and animals. So Carla Mendez has already helped 150 women in Brazil with the We Are Diamonds project. And what they're doing is taking scars and turning them into beautiful tattoos. Now, I can't imagine what it must be like to be in an abusive, a physically abusive relationship, but then to have those scars linger with you physically many, many years after that is just something that I, I can't comprehend. And um, it's, uh, it's really sad, and it's great that uh, Carla Mendez is doing this. I want to commend Sujan Singh, a fifth grader in Ohio, is being credited as a hero for his actions as his bus driver suffered a medical emergency on Thursday in Twinsburg, Ohio. 
So Sujan Singh noticed the driver was having an emergency and it reacted to the situation quickly. He jumped into action, hitting the brake of the school bus. The bus jumped a curb before stopping short of hitting a street light. In my opinion, according to the superintendent, Sujan is a hero. We're so grateful to Sujan for his quick response in the emergency today. Uh, apparently, the bus had been traveling slowly as it headed into a curve in the road at the time of the incident. Can you imagine how many lives this kid saved? There's something to be said for quick-thinking children. God bless you. Uh, I want to give a commendation to Slovenia, specifically... I'm going to give my best shot at pronouncing this. Specifically, I want to commend Lajublanja, Jublajanja, Jubljana, which is the capital of Slovenia. Did you know that? If you would have given me a million dollars to tell you what the capital of Slovenia is, I would not have earned a million dollars. Couldn't have done. So a new study has found that the community that I just attempted to name, the capital of Slovenia, a new study uh, conducted by Fast Private Jet, an authorized private jet agent and booking broker, they have found that this particular city is the most crypto-friendly travel destination in the world. So if you like to pay your bills in digital currency, the place to head is Slovenia. If you want to look for places that are a little bit easier to pronounce that also are very crypto-friendly, you can also go to Prague in the Czech Republic. You can go to Madrid, Spain. Rome, Italy. You know, it's funny. I noticed Rome was big with this crypto when I was out there about three years ago. They were just starting. But I did notice there were. I saw a lot of signs, Bitcoin accepted here. And uh, other types of crypto. And Vienna, Austria is also big. But none none as big as Slovenia. I want to commend David Berkowitz. No, not the son of Sam. Uh, David Berkowitz is a Chapman professor. Chapman University. And he was upset when he saw his exams posted on Course Hero, which is a place where students share information. This is so his students were cheating. They got a copy of his exam and they posted it on Course Hero. So what would you do if you were David Berkowitz? Would you fail the whole class? Would you try and turn one of the students into a rat and get them to rat on one of their fellow students? Would you just, you know, penalize everybody? What would you do? Well, I got to tell you what he did here is so creative, and I think it's going to be effective. This is what he did. He was so upset when he saw his exams posted on Course Hero that now, keep in mind, he doesn't know who posted them. He's now suing these anonymous students who put them there. So this business professor is suing these students for posting parts of his midterm and final course exams on the website. But he doesn't know who those students are. That's what the lawsuit is for. By suing John Doe's for copyright infringement, this professor seeks to legally compel the website Course Hero, which is not a defendant in the case, to produce the student's identity. I think this is going to work. 
I think this is brilliant. And kudos to this professor for getting fed up with cheating students and uh, taking a very creative approach that I never would have thought of. And good for you, David Berkowitz. I hope they catch these John Doe students. And uh, I hope uh, I hope it puts an end to the cheating. I have been very critical of the credit rating agencies with good reason. But now I have to give a shared commendation to Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion. They've announced that they are going to collectively remove nearly 70% of medical collection debt from their credit reports. These three companies cover more than $1.6 billion credit accounts for over 200 million adults. And they have so much control over your life. What kind of jobs you get, how much you pay in mortgage interest, what you pay on a student loan, whether or not you even qualify for a mortgage or a student loan. So much is determined by the documents that these credit agencies have on you. And now, starting July 1st, paid medical collection debt will no longer be included on consumer credit reports. In addition, the time period before unpaid medical collection debt would appear on a consumer's report, and it will be increased from six months to a year, offering consumers more time to address their debt with insurance and health care providers before it's reported. Um, There's a lot more they can do. I think this is a big, big step in the right direction. You know, so many bankruptcies in this country are caused by medical issues, medical billing. Sometimes it's yours, sometimes it's a family member. I've known so many people that through no fault of their own, they had a good job, they were always doing the right thing, they didn't go out to Vegas and um, blow the mortgage money. So many people I've known that have gotten jammed up financially because of medical debt, either them or a family member. And it just kills me that this was damaging their credit for years. And I'm glad these three credit companies are taking a step in the right direction. And lastly, uh, before we get to Uncle Floyd, before we get to Uncle Floyd, I want to um, recognize that 17 years ago yesterday, I broke the Guinness World Record for longest live TV talk show marathon by hosting a 33-hour episode of Morano Vision. And there were a, this was a gargantuan undertaking. And if I was left to my own devices on getting this done, it never would have been done. And I really want to thank, this was a team effort that really the whole community rallied behind. And everybody that I know played some role in. I really want to thank everybody that made this possible. Um, my mom, first and foremost, was amazing. She did not sleep the entire time. She stayed there assisting with the show the whole time. Uh, my father had a company at the time. He sponsored us to the tune of about $1,000 to be able to pay uh, a bill that needed paying for this 33-hour show. Don't know what we would have done beyond that. A uh, former professor of mine, Barry Goldsmith, allowed me to uh, get some credit uh, for school. I wouldn't have been able to, um, you know, do that but for Barry Goldsmith. Uh, Trish Bauman, whose birthday just was a couple of days ago, was the audience coordinator. See, Guinness had very specific rules, and you had to have a certain number of people in the audience the entire time. 
And um, they, you know, Trish was in charge of that. And I don't think she slept the whole time. Um, all of my sidekicks that were on the show, Joe Franklin, who was a big part of that show, Curtis, who was with me when I broke the record, uh, King Henry, Coach, uh, the Petoffs, Dennis and Pauline Petoff, were integral in organizing it, hosting pre-production meeting after pre-production meeting at their house. Dennis then did double duty, not just in terms of production, but being one of my sidekicks on the show. Lou Ween, who's no longer with us, Joe Ween, World's Cat, uh, Morris Katz, who was the world's fastest painter, Bonnie Bibula, the former executive director at CTV, uh, Tibor Spiegel, um, a terrible Tim Sinsheimer, who's no longer with us. It was a, a really a, a gargantuan undertaking. All the volunteers, Jeffrey Goldstein, Brian Goldstein, Michael Luke, uh, Kenny Graham, a, uh, everybody that, that worked on the show. And I, I'm not going to mention everybody because it really was hundreds of people that helped with this. Uh, so everybody that was a part of that 17 years ago, Pete DiLorenzo is no longer with us. Um, I want to thank everybody that was a part of this. And I still think fondly about that weekend, this 17 years later. And people still come up to me almost on a weekly basis and say they remember it and they remember watching. And I want to thank everybody that watched as well, especially in those odd hours when it was tough. So thank you to everybody and accommodation to everybody that helped and that watched. Who knows? Maybe we'll break another Guinness World Record like that in the future. Somebody that I'm sure has a bunch of records. Actually, I know for a fact, I think he has the record for playing the piano for the longest consecutive hours, is Uncle Floyd, Floyd Vivino, a broadcasting, comedy, music, radio, television, and stage legend. He joins us straight ahead. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Oh, the factory smoke will make you choke. Deep in the heart of Jersey and the city rats running big packs. Deep in the heart of Jersey, oh, the Parkway man takes the money from your hand. Deep in the heart of Jersey and old Route 17, the traffic there is mean. Deep in the heart of Jersey. The voice you hear there is one of the most legendary entertainers of the course of the last half century. He has had an incredible amount of success on television, in film, in radio, as a stage performer. And he is a brilliant man, brilliant entertainer, but uh, a guy that uh, seems to know everything about everything. He's bilingual. He has a razor-sharp wit, one of the funniest people that I've ever spoken to, and uh, somebody that um, I always am eager to look for any opportunity to interact with. If you've, ever had the, if you've never had the opportunity to see him in person, make sure you do. Uh, as soon as the opportunity becomes available. It gives me a great deal of pleasure to welcome the one and only Uncle Floyd, Floyd Vivino. Uncle Floyd, thanks for getting up early for us. 
Well, listen, Frank, thank you so much. But I think I'm having a dream right now, and I'm going to wake up any minute <laughs> after that big introduction. Can I say so? I, I played, I did a, a not, not, of course, not putting any, uh, taking any light away from your uh, 33 hours on uh, consecutive on uh, TV thought. I did the. I played the piano for 24 hours and 15 minutes straight. Well, it sounds like I got nine hours on you, Floyd. You do, but but playing the piano, I just had to sit at a piano. We raised money for uh, a little boy with uh, some medical issues, you know, bills and that, and that kind Maybe of thing. Maybe we can work on a record together. We can collaborate on something. That's what I was leaning up to, but you're always one step ahead of everybody. That's what I want to do. So, uh, <laughs> Floyd, you are the greatest. So we'll we'll, we'll chat off air on uh, on something that we can that we can uh, collaborate on. What did you do for St. Joseph's Day on Saturday? Anything? I ate Sfinge e Zeppoli di San Giuseppe, which is special Italian pastry for those who uh, uh, know this kind of thing in honor of San Giuseppe, St. Joseph's Day. But I was also on a crusade about St. Patrick's Day that the Irish claim and uh, the, about their 40 shades of green. And uh, a fellow of Irish ancestors, you know, Uncle Floyd, we have 40 shades of green in Old Ireland <laughs> and nobody has 40 shades of green. I just hold it right there. The Italian-American people, we, we have 40 shades of green lettuce and uh, uh, salad. We have thirty uh, eights of green in veg, other in broccoli, gro- broccoli rob alone. Oh, broccoli rob, gardoun, it goes on and on. Escarole, pure We can be here all day with our shades of green, and not many people uh, are concerned with this matter. But uh, it, it 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 does get to me. Plus, what is soda bread? It's panatone. If you ever have Irish soda bread, it's in a version of the Italian panettone. And what is this thing about? We have parsley, and they have the green clover. But uh, anyway, what, what can we do? Do you so? Do you do the corned beef and cabbage thing on St. Patrick's Day as well? I never had it. No, so you you stay away from that. No, I never had macaroni out of a can either. <laughs> I think this was the greatest crime. Now, I know you've had some people of questionable repute. Is that the word? Uh, of uh, a criminal background over the years you've interviewed. But uh, this was the most hideous crime of all time. To put a chef, I won't say his name, macaroni in a can with meatballs the size of marbles. Uh, this, this is not... Uh, uh, permissible in my culture. But so what's the problem with corned beef and cabbage though? That's a staple. Well, I don't even know what it is. Uh, what is beef? It, it has it corned? I mean, I don't get it. I I guess I don't drink that much. I can't have it. <laughs> no. I imagine it's great, but I don't get excited over a boiled potato and some cabbage. I mean, we we ate a lot of cabbage in the Italian diet sure. a lot. Now, naturally. Hey, so we played that song that you had oh. uh, written and composed deep in the heart of uh, of Jersey. Jersey. When did you first come up with that song? 1976. And then we made a record of it, but I don't know where you got that version you had because that's just me at the piano and I think that's a later one, but uh, I did it with my brothers. We we cut it as a record. And then we record we recorded it about four different times, but the one you just played is the rarest to find. Uh, 
Uh, it's just me on the piano. Well, hey, I, we, we it, find those hidden gems. But speaking of uh, hidden gems and rare recordings, you actually have a pretty a pretty comprehensive record collection yourself, don't you? Oh gosh, I mean, I, I had a warehouse full of records. A lot of them got ruined in that terrible flood we had. Uh, I uh, in Pat, uh, Patterson, New Jersey, where my warehouse the, was housing about a million records. We lost a ton of them, but. Um, I still have a very extremely large collection. I had the, the supposedly the world's largest collection of Italian-American records that I had uh, in Italian records from Italy for, I think, 30 years, 31 years. I had an Italian-language radio show in New York area. Yeah, I used to be amazed. Every weekend I'd listen to you doing an English-language program on one station and then i'd listen to you on another station you're you're doing uh, this italian you know italian language italian music show yeah well i'm not bragging but i speak italian french russian and blue cheese <laughs> that's the worst joke you're going to hear at this time of day but i still have 90 minutes left so i'm i'll do my, what i can to out uh, outdo you hey you know you reference in that song uh, and this is something that i think a lot of new jersey motorists can appreciate the tolls in new jersey why does new jersey get so crazy with those tolls you got you got to have me on for two days to get this answer <laughs> i i can't believe <laughs> uh, it, it's, I guess, the cost of uh, being part of the metropolitan New York area. I mean, we get so used to it on a typical year when I was working uh, hundreds of shows a year. Uh, a guy like me would pay uh, $3,000 or 3500 $4,000 a year in tolls. I mean, that's just part of our business. I mean, I know people come from Kentucky or they say, how do you people live in this area with it to go? from uh, here to uh, Brooklyn and back where I live in Jersey. I mean, you know, it's just the tolls. Uh, but we get used to it, and, and you know, what can we do? Uh, I'm more concerned that the, the, the dollar stores, uh, are, raising nets are now up to $1.69. I mean, I know, what about the gasoline? I went to the gas station. I said, give me $5 worth. The guy said, here, smell the nozzle. <laughs> It's so good to hear you uh, talking to me. I want to tell your audience something. I went through some health issues and everything, and Frank Morano had called my former wife and spoke to family members to make sure I was okay. I'll never forget you, Frank, for oh, that. Well, li likewise. Uh, I mean, I guess maybe there's something to be, um, you know, maybe there's a joke to be made about me calling your former wife, you know, rather than someone you're in a current relationship with. But, uh, but that's great that you guys still have a good relationship. Well, you have to because we have children, and um, and I tell you, I've been married so many times. They threw so much rice at me. I opened my own Chinese restaurant. <laughs> I don't think that's funny. <laughs> uh, so you know, last week we did a um, we did a, a tribute to uh, actually, I guess it was two weeks ago to to Joe Franklin because it was his birthday. Now, Joe thought the world of you. You and Joe were pretty close, it seems. Until what? You're going to drop the shoe now? No, you tell me. You tell me. He sued me. What, what did he sue you for? Malicious parody. Now, I love Joe Franklin. And uh, anyway, they served me the uh, lawsuit during a telethon. We're talking about in New York City. It was WPIX-TV. 
And uh, someone from MTV was introducing me on stage, and a guy shows up with the lawsuit papers and says, you're Floyd Vivino, a.k.a. Uncle Floyd? I says, yeah. And here, he handed me the papers. But uh, it was for malicious parody. Uh, for those, and I, Joe Franklin, my friend, big news, big, big, big news. I was like, yeah. We're here with Frank Morano and Uncle Floyd. He sued me because I did a routine on my show where I had as one of Joe Franklin's guests. Well, first of all, I called him Joe Frankfurter, but he, <laughs> it was a pistachio nut expert. And back then, the red dye, I don't know if you remember the red dye. It was When you ate pistachio nuts, your lips would turn oh, sure. red and your yeah. fingertips. And the guest, one of my characters from my TV show, had to, we had to put lipstick on and red all over his fingertips. And he had a book, The History of People Who Ate Pistachio Nuts. <laughs> and it was a picture of Napoleon with the red lipstick on. <laughs> I am amazed that Joe didn't find that funny. He says, but uh, my friend uh, Billy Crystal does me with love, with love. And he actually told me, I love you like a son, Uncle Floyd. I said, then why are you suing me like this? He's big news, big, big news. Did, like, you, I like, <laughs> did you guys ever patch things up? Yeah, because I had to sign a ridiculous paper that said I would never mention him the rest of my career. Oh, my goodness. Well, I guess I, I hope that doesn't mean your career's over by no. responding to my question. <laughs> no, it was just a lot of BS. I mean, uh, a few people in the industry stuck up for me and made a point of it, but I was shocked and, 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 and thanked about I, that. I, I always felt that your shows were kind of cousins. I always felt like, um, you know, your your show was maybe the – New Jersey alternative or the New Jersey parallel to what Joe was doing in New York. Is that a, is that fair? Oh, I'd be honored to take that. I, he, I thought I loved Joe Franklin's show, but uh, the TV show and the radio show for years, uh, I'd be up in the Catskill Mountains at late night coming back at, uh, after midnight. And he was on to like 5 a.m. at one point on Saturday nights and playing old records and <laughs> And it was just, I, I thought the world of Joe Franklin. And finally, he said to me at a big industry, on well, a radio uh, host in New York, had a big party every year. Uh, Danny Styles was his name. Sure. And and he said, uh, Joe Franklin got on the mic and he says, and Uncle Floyd is here, my friends. Uh, we had a big, big, big uh, dispute years ago. But I want you to know, my friends, I, I he said, Joe Franklin said, I buried the hatchet. I, so I got on the mic and I says, and yeah, Joe, and remember this, you brought the hatchet. <laughs> so I didn't think that would get me more trouble with him, but no, it didn't. And that's, that's I, I very miss him funny. dearly. So, as do I. He was a very close friend. But, by the way, we do have a lot of younger listeners, and we're thankful to be getting uh, more and more listeners all the time. If you were to try and describe the Uncle Floyd show to someone, which was very, very popular for literally decades. How would you describe the Uncle Floyd show to somebody? It was a hodgepodge of my career. I came, and I say this proudly. I know I've taken a lot of abuse for this, but I came from a circus background and carnival. I worked in amusement parks, and then, of course, I was in burlesque, and I brought all this with me, and we, we did a very strange show we had the Ramones on. A lot of punk bands would come on my show as a guest. They wanted to come on. That's why we had them on. And I had people like Tiny Tim on more than anybody. Mm. And sometimes the show would get kind of crazy. We, uh, from the Soupy Sales show, Frank Nastasi was on a few times. But mostly the punk bands 
uh, gravitated to what I did. But we also had the banjo parlors and and the honky-tonk piano that I play, and we did a lot of wraparound comedy skits based on the celebrities of the day. Uh, Dr. Carl Sagan was big with his uh, billions and billions of years ago when the asteroids came down from the spalmosphere, and we we did uh, a takeoff on Dr. Martin A. Bend, uh, uh, all kinds of little TV parodies, and I had a comedy troupe with me, but I paid for the airtime, which I was an air broker, the same as Joe Franklin was years ago. We we brought we brought the advertisers to the station, and I got to keep the profits after I paid the crew, the production costs, and everything else. I want to do a book about it. No, I, I'd love to read that. Tell folks how you uh, ended up choosing Uncle Floyd as the name for the program. I was with the circus. And we were traveling around, and President Nixon got on television and said, we've run, and this was in, uh, I guess, November of 1973. And he says, Americans, we ran out of fossil fuel, and there is no more fossil fuel, and uh, we're going to have to stay close to home and, and deal with this and come up with some solution. And I says, oh, boy, now at that point, even circus and carnival, we were doing indoor circuses at that time. Uh, we've got to uh, get out of here, I said. I was way down in Florida. I came back to New Jersey, and I said, what in the world am I going to do now? If I can't travel around, there was very strict gas. Rest- and gas was threatening to go up, listen to this, to 50 cents a gallon, which <laughs> people were. The good old days. Uh, yeah, and people were upset about that. And they said, that's nothing. Bread, we hear, is going to go up to a dollar a loaf. Uh, It was a terrible time economically straining on many millions of Americans. So I came back to New Jersey, and I went and lived with my parents. I I was young. I was uh, 23 years old. And uh, make a long story short, uh, I said, let me do some TV. I did enough TV. So I walked into a TV station, and I said, UHF station in Newark, New Jersey. And I says, I just got back. I was on tour. I had a TV show, a kiddie show called Uncle Floyd, out of the top of my head. But that wasn't true, obviously. No, it wasn't true. But uh, I had come from circus background and carnival world, and I could talk about anything, especially if I didn't know anything about the subject matter. And they put me, they says, okay, we're going to give you a show, Uncle Floyd. That's a great idea. That sounds great. I says, well, great. Well, let's talk about one thing. Who's going to pay me? He says, your producer will pay you. I says, producer, well, who's that? And they said, you, you're the producer. You bring us the money and you go right on the air. And this is non-union. Um, later, I, be, I became a member of AFTRA, American Federation of Radio Television Artists. But, uh, and, and you know, you know, I was a, a union man when, when I used to tell my children's stories at night, little children's stories. Once upon a time and a half, there were. <laughs> <laughs> but I did it the old-fashioned way. I, I had Tom Carvel was possibly my biggest and. Even AMP Food, the Food Emporium, sponsored me on on radio and all. So I did radio and TV that way. So I know what it takes to produce a radio show, to produce a television show, and I know what it takes to sell advertising. Both of those are full time job. Now, how did you go about producing, starring in in a show, and then selling advertising for it? I mean, the, the, I, I can't imagine the time management involved. Take me through what your schedule was like in those schedule days. It was very easy, but I must say this in all respect to my three marriages. It took a, it took a strain on a marriage. Oh, I can imagine. 
getting up and hitting the road. I would drive in a circle every day. A circle meaning I started in New Jersey. If I went to Astoria, Queens to pick up money from a sponsor, then I made sure after that I may go out to Long Island, then end up in the Bronx, and then come back to Jersey uh, or Bergen County over the GW Bridge, pick up money from a sponsor, and do and, and make a circle every day. That's the only way to do it. But, Frank, that's a great question, but the answer is very simple. I loved it. I loved every aspect of it. And and you did well for a while there, right? I did very well for a while. Sure, I made money. I, I, had a, I blew all my money. Um, I have two brothers that are very famous in show business, my brother Jerry and Jimmy, and they're, they're, they're wonderful musicians. To make a long story short, there's a joke in the industry. If you gave the Vivino brothers a million dollars each, or $10 million each, whatever, uh, my brother Jimmy would give it all away. Jimmy has a big heart. He'd give the $10 million to all his friends. My brother Jerry would wisely invest it. And me, I would take that $10 million and buy a radio station or an old theater somewhere, something to make me work more. <laughs> I think you're a man after my own heart in that respect. Uh, we're talking with Uncle Floyd, Floyd Vivino. There's still some uh, some clips of the old Uncle Floyd show on YouTube. There's also a, uh, a terrific website which uh, can tell you a little bit about what Uncle Floyd is doing now and some of the other things that he's done called UncleFloyd.net. Uh, that's UncleFloyd.net. You mentioned your brothers, uh, Jerry and Jimmy. They were big parts of the basic cable band formerly the Max Weinberg 7, that was the house band for Conan O'Brien's show. What are they doing now, now that that is no longer no longer a thing? Well, Jerry's counting his money, and, and Jimmy's still giving it away. No, I love my brothers dearly, and they are in California. My brother Jerry lives in Simi Valley, and my brother Jimmy in Burbank. And we did a big show. We did a family reunion show. In uh, December 2nd, the show sold out in like 10 minutes at a high school we all went to. And to make a long story short, somebody's doing a documentary on it called The Vanishing American Showbiz Families. At one time, show business was strictly a family affair, pretty much. So were farmers, so were military people, so were educators, a lot of doctors, a lot of people who had stores and businesses from dry goods to restaurants. It was a family business. We, me and my brothers, we never thought we would do anything. We never worried about going to college because we were going to go do our family business, which is show business. And it was that simple. There was no question about it. Did any of your children uh, try a career, their hand at a career in entertainment? I uh, No, they didn't. And um, I'm... That's what, that's what happens. See, I had the, the gene. The, uh, my mother acted in Italian immigrant theater. Her father, my grandfather, produced it. Like you've heard of the Yiddish theater. Well, the Italians had a comparable equal, but it traveled. It didn't stay stationary like the Jewish theaters. The Yiddish theaters were on Second Avenue. They were a little bit more organized. But, uh, and my father played trumpet. My father got out of the music industry shortly after I was born figuring the big bands were breaking up at an alarming rate at the time, and uh, he would be away from home. He loved my mother more than show business, and that's, that's the truth. 
And I can't say that I divorced three women, but I could not divorce show business. Mm. Uh, now, you've become so identified with New Jersey over the years, much like uh, my friend and colleague uh, Joe Piscopo. You're almost synonymous with the state of New Jersey. You, you could, I'm sure, live anywhere, including, you know, across the river in New York. What makes you choose to stay in New Jersey? What do you think it is that makes New Jersey so special? Well, it's it's here, my family. Okay, if you want to get the real reason is I I couldn't leave this area because I have too many relatives living here. But I love everything about the metropolitan New York, New Jersey area. We never said we were going to New York. We're going to the city. That's all we said in Jersey. Hop on the bus anytime you like and get a bus right into either 175th Street or down by 42nd Street, the bus terminals. Get on the subway. Do what we have to do. It's that simple. We grew up here. We I'm a couple of minutes from out of my house. I could see the New York City skyline if you're on Route 3. I mean, it's we're just part of New York City. We, we think we are anyway, up in northern New Jersey. You know, South Jersey is Philadelphia show. Which time is your show on, Floyd? Floyd. <laughs> Such a difference between a South Jersey accent and a North Jersey accent, yeah. am I right? We've a lot more than that. Even words like pork roll and Taylor ham. Oh yeah, forget about it. They'll, they'll fight a war over that. Speaking of South Jersey, you know, you have done some great performances in Atlantic City over the years. Any uh, any forthcoming Atlantic City dates in the offing? I worked at a casino for years, but unfortunately, I was told now that I'm too old. There's no uh, one. Put, I won't mention it and get into it. But this is, this is part of show business. They didn't want any comedians over the age of 55. You kidding now? This would be a national story with any other occupation, but comics and show people, and I'm proud to be a member of the show people, we're tough. We don't care what anybody says or tries to do to us. We laugh it off and tell them to go blank themselves. That's all. Well, you know, uh, that is such a shame. I know Jay Leno uh, performed at the Ocean in Atlantic City this weekend at 71, and uh, people were thrilled to see him. I yeah, think there are hold, a lot of... Hold, he, he's a big, big star. Now, there's a big difference. The guys I'm talking about were the low rung of show business. We're the guys who hung on forever, 50, 60 years in this business, just knocking around, never getting a cup of coffee in the major leagues, but loving the game so much we couldn't let go of it. Yeah, no, I, trust me, I know a lot of uh, radio folks that uh, that fit that same same description. So your show, which was sort of, um, it was it worked on two levels. You could watch it as a child. I certainly did, and enjoy it as a children's show. There were characters, there were puppets, there were voices. It was fun, but it also worked on an adult level because you made references to Joe Franklin, The Godfather, everything, and really a lot of adult themes, and it worked on multiple levels. It really was a so out of its time. Shows like Pee Wee's Playhouse with uh, Pee Wee Herman, you could tell, were clearly inspired by you. Mario Cantone did a show on Channel 9 called Steam Pipe Alley. I think that was your show without the uncle in front of it. Do you think a show like yours, like the kind of one that you did, could work today on television in 2022? Oh, I've tried so much to pitch it. I wanted to do a show called Baby Boomer Follies. And uh, and it was you had to be at least 55 years old to get into the theater to be part of the studio audience. And we'd have a doctor there and we would, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, you don't stop thinking about things like that. I would I'd do it in a heartbeat. I spoke with people, even Bob Smigel, pe- big, big, big people in show business. And I wanted to do that. Uh, show business, you know what show business is? And, you know, Frank, as a radio man, you know, there's a. 
an old saying, radio people would say, I want to die with a mic in my hand, uh, you know, at the microphone. And we say that, Milton Berle used to say it to everybody, we want to die taking a bow. Mm. It's all we know. Retirement is a word we, we fear more than anything. And as long as we have the health to continue working, we, keep, we live for that. that. That's what we do. And a lot of us believe that's what our calling is. We have to do that. You know, President Roosevelt, they, they cut out the end of – remember that speech he made after Pearl Harbor? He goes, December 7th, 1941, a day that shall live in infamy. Now, when he stopped that, he continued. We never hear the second part. I'll do it quickly. It's very short. And now I address the entertainment community of these United States of America. You, performers, it is your job to continue with your musicals, your vaudevilles, and your varieties. It is your purpose, and, and it is your purpose now to uplift the national spirit of our American people. Now, that's old, old world, old fashioned, old school, everything in one shot. And- I love it. I love it. That is uh, that is uh, t- absolutely terrific. You've been in some terrific films over the years. You've gotten to work with some of the biggest names in show business in in cinema. Obviously, Good Morning Vietnam with Robin the legendary Williams was a delight. Robin a delight. Williams and uh, uh, one of a film that I love and I think is very underrated, a Steve Martin film called uh, Crazy People. How do you like doing movies as compared to live stage shows or television? I did them because the money was great and you mm. got to rub elbows with celebrities, but I was not a fan of the of it because I was not artistically in control of what I did. Uh, I was in, in the movie Crazy People, for instance. Billy Smitrovich, who had a big role in that, uh, it was supposed to be people in, in uh, with mental, mental issues. right. And... Uh, he says, what do you want to be? I says, I want to be a dog. I'll be the dog, and you'll be the, the – you carry, walk me around on a leash, and I'll bark, and every time I get out of hand, you give me a biscuit. And we showed it to Mitch Markowitz, and uh, uh, he was the writer and became a good friend of mine, dear talent. Uh, he did Good Morning Vietnam, too. Make a long story short, they says, no, 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 no. Everything was no, 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 no. So I realized, when well, I'm not in control of this any longer. It's all up to the editor and uh, the scriptwriter, and in Good Morning Vietnam, uh, Robin Williams treated me so nice. We would leave on every movie set. There's two groups of actors: the goody two shoes who go right home when the set closes down. Okay, God forbid they get a wrinkle on their face. And then there's the guys that go out and booze it up all night. I was with the guys that went around and boozed it up. Make a long story short. We'd be in Bangkok, Thailand, and I'd, they'd found a place with a piano, and we're singing songs and fooling around. And Robin Williams might walk in at 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. He'd see us and put a ton of money on the bar and say to the bartender, those are my men. Don't let them pay for anything. And he would leave. The next day, we weren't allowed to even mention it to Robin Williams. Wow. We couldn't say thank you. He was that kind of guy. I thought he was, and I mean this, the smartest man I ever met. Well, certainly as a performer, I, I think I'd be hard pressed to uh, to name a performer that was more versatile and more uh, more energetic. In terms of um, you know, uh, but I could talk with you all day. Um, two two final questions that I want to ask you about before we run out of time here. I saw that uh, that Tony Petrillo passed away uh, last week. Um, it, tell folks who Tony Petrillo was. Well, he started as a cameraman. Uh, on my TV show back in 1974, but uh, his 
one of his claims to fame was that uh, James Caesar Petrillo was a distant uncle, a, a great uncle of his. He was the man who caused the music shutdown in the in AF of American Federation of Musicians in 1943. When remember there was a, a year they didn't make records and they oh, it was a mess. Uh, uh, but 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 he was a friend of mine and he worked on the on the TV show briefly. He passed away, and he joined a long list of people who who did pass away from the show. Tony was. I think 76. Hopefully it's not like that John Wayne movie, Rio Grande, where everybody died who was involved with it. Oh, I don't know. I, well, you know, there's a lot of that going on. The longer you live, the more people you know who died. I no, mean, that, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just teasing. And uh, no, no, my, my, my mother used to say, as you get older, you get tougher. That's how people talk years ago. As you get older, you get tougher to survive. But uh, I miss Muggsy passed away, Doc Prentice. I mean, Yogi Narada's gone. A lot are gone. How is uh, how is Oogie? He's over here, but Oogie. What? Well, you want to say hello to Frank? Hello, Frank. Frank, I'm getting sick of Floyd. All he does is put words in my mouth. All right, now go, go, go away, go away. I do things too. I sing. I go, go back to bed. Why'd you have to bring him up? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, it is always a treat to talk with you, Uncle Floyd. Let's do this again soon. I hope we can get you in studio sometime. You're up for uh, curing your insomnia. Would love it. Thank you so much Thank for you. your support as a friend. Absolutely. Really, I mean uh, the great friend. Uncle Floyd. Find him on Facebook. He does like sort of a, a live podcast, which is fun. Or you could just go to UncleFloyd.net. By the way, that film with John Wayne that I was trying to think of was not, um, it was not Rio Grande. It was The Conqueror. I misspoke. The Conqueror, not Rio Grande. Your call's next, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. That's Dave Matthews Band. This is the other side of midnight. So Saturday was St. Joseph's Day. So needless to say, uh, we had my my cousins came over, and uh, three generations. My cousin Liz, who's my dad's first cousin, who's my first co- actually no, because her mom is my aunt Camille, uh, who I'll tell you more about in a minute. My uh, aunt Camille, her daughter Liz, who's my dad's first cousin, so she's my first cousin once removed. My cousin Liz's daughter, Amanda, who's my second cousin, and Amanda's daughter, Vanessa, who's a baby, came over. So there were four generations all came over on Saturday. And by the way, the baby, she was afraid of me. She she would cry whenever I would try to talk to her, even when I would look at her. So it was a little demoralizing. And they had some fun with that, believe you me, uh, my, my wife especially. So I went and got some St. Joseph cakes for um, – for St. Joseph's Day, I bought six, three custard, three cannoli, because there's always a big split. Some people like the cannoli, some people like the custard. Six dollars a piece. Six dollars a piece for these St. Joseph's cakes. Can you believe that? I had my mom go and pick up 
other St. Joseph's cakes from a bakery, from another bakery, so that we could do a side-by-side comparison. She only paid three fifty, and she thought that was a lot. But I started St. Joseph's Day, actually, by texting all of the Joes that are in my phone at 2 o'clock in the morning, all t- at 2 a.m., um, happy St. Joseph's Day, and telling them that I hope that they uh, enjoyed it. And you can imagine how that went. Whenever you have a group text consisting of 24 Joes, it was uh, very interesting. Joe Borelli tweeted about it, so if you want to see what I actually tweeted, you could find Joe Borelli on uh, on Twitter, B-O-R-E-L-L-I. Coming up in just a minute, we'll do something fun. Until then, keep asking questions. Is the other side of midnight with Frank Morano? They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Uh, speaking of St. Joseph's Day, I want to uh, thank somebody who is not named Joe, but who is named Dan, but he looks like a Joe. And that is the Dan in our video department, um, our video production department. You can see the live stream of our show. Hi, video people. At WABCRadio.tv. We may not be on YouTube right now, but we're on Vimeo. Very happy to be with Vimeo. Until they censor us, then we won't be happy to be with them. But um, Dan and our video production department, uh, especially Eric Salas, who's been our telephone talent coordinator from time to time. But now, like Gabby, who left our show to move up to the world of television. She doesn't even do pizza reviews for us anymore. Um they they were all very kind, the video people, to take this 16-minute instructional video of my Aunt Camille making her egg salad method and edit it down to only four minutes without losing anything. So it's really it's really great. I think it's great, and it's effective if you believe her method. Now, the method that she shows in this video, which, by the way, I've linked to it on my Facebook page. You could see it at Facebook.com slash MoranoFan. Um, I don't believe I'm a, I'm a skeptic. You talk about conspiracy theory and you could see my son Carmine in the video. Those of you, those of you that are watching at WABCradio.tv, he was crying. So I'm feeding him during the video and he was very well behaved during the video. I think he was look, looking for future egg salad. So, so anyway, I don't believe what she actually did in this video because it's so simple. She just slices hard boiled eggs and then puts mayonnaise, salt, and pepper in them. That's the whole recipe, which is what she always claimed that it was. But I don't believe it because and, – and and there we still have some, if there's anybody here, we still have some in the refrigerator. And she's making more Wednesday, so we have to finish 
this egg salad that's in the refrigerator today um, because otherwise we're going to have an egg salad glut. Uh, we had to try I don't believe this is what she actually does. But um, those of you that are on the floor right now here on the second floor, try this egg salad. Philippe, did you try this? Did you try this egg salad? Nope, I did not try any you, egg salad. You got to try it. Do you like egg salad? Yeah, egg salad's good. You got to try it. It's in a black container in the refrigerator. I will try it just for you, Frank. No, well, I mean, don't do it for me. Do it for yourself, right? I guess. I do like egg salad, so I yeah. will get some. Uh, have you tried this latest batch, uh, Matt Place? Yes, I did. What, we, what was your review? It's amazing. And it's amazing it that it's only salt, pepper, and eggs. Is it Now, I'm thinking, is it That's a what specific she's claiming. type of egg? I cover that in the video. You I cover do? that in the video. Oh. People have to watch it to see. Because that's a, there's no way that that can be all there is to it. I think that she does have some sort of secret recipe that she's not letting us in on, but she didn't reveal it. I mean, she's Stat- too clever. Staten Island water. Exactly. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. But you could watch the video and judge for yourself. Uh, Facebook.com slash Morano fan. Give the page a like while you're there or a follow. And then you'll also get an invitation to like the Facebook page. Or excuse me, to join the Facebook group. Um, and if you already like the Facebook page, then just go to Facebook.com slash groups slash Radio Morano. Right now there's a big dispute over there about uh, – Colonel Wilkerson, there's people commenting on Uncle Floyd, there's people co- commenting on Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson, people complaining about Curtis. If any of that interests you, join the um, Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash Radio Moreno. Speaking of egg salad, though, uh, there are some people that have the same meal every day for lunch. Come this time tomorrow, we are going to be having a look at the people that have the same meal for lunch every single day. Tune into that tomorrow. But there's one issue that I've been covering for years, and I mentioned it briefly Friday, and I and there was this big Washington Post story, and I think it's worth revisiting. So I have been on a one-man crusade to stop daylight saving time. I am just now starting to recover from this recent spring ahead issue and losing an hour of sleep. This losing an hour, gaining an hour twice a year, it's just, it's for the birds. I hate it. I have been an advocate of standard time, but more so than standard time, I'm happy just to lock the clock, to not keep changing these clocks back and forth. And so that's why when the U.S. Senate voted a week or two ago to institute permanent daylight saving time beginning next year, I thought, okay, look, it's not permanent standard time, but it's something. Okay. People are furious about this. There was a big column in – you know what? People are unhappy with everything. But there was a column in the New York Post over the weekend. There was a big um, article in – there's several articles in the Washington Post, um, an opinion piece by Dana Milbank, the Senate accidentally agreed to move our clocks forward, blame Putin. And the Senate it approved legislation making daylight saving time year round. Now, again, I've been for this, but this is a point that Dana Milbank right, brings up that is a good one. There were no hearings, no discussion, no debate and no vote. It just happened because nobody objected. 
in large part because a lot of senators didn't even know what it was that it was happening. So it took and this goes to show you how Washington works, that we could change the whole way we've been doing things in this country for 100 years. And nobody, even the people that are changing, it, don't even know about it. So it took just 14 seconds, 14 seconds to approve an order moving American clocks an hour ahead permanently. Senator Marco Rubio Rose requested that S-623 be discharged from the Senate Commerce Committee, which hadn't approved it, then said, I ask unanimous consent that the Rubio substitute amendment at the desk be considered and agreed to, the bill as amended be considered, read a third time and passed, and that the motions to reconsider be considered, made, and laid upon the table. Senator Kirsten Sinema, the presiding officer, she quickly declared, without objection, so ordered, and then, in what, there, what Dana Milbank says in her latest breach of decorum, stage whispered, yes, into the microphone, and pumped two celebratory fists. Now, the Washington Post, through this Dana Milbank column, says, and look, even though I agree with them, largely, Rubio and Cinema pulled a fast one. I did not realize this is how this transpired. So understand what happened here. A proposal with far-reaching implications. A proposal with only 18 co-sponsors cleared the body in under a minute. Now, even if this was legislation that I liked, this is um, this is not how this process should have gone. There should have been debate. There should have been public hearings. They should have had experts come testify. So um, there was another col- there was a bunch of columns saying that we shouldn't um, that we shouldn't do this. That we should look at permanent uh, standard time. And people talk about how we people hated permanent daylight saving time when the U.S. last tried it back in 1974. And I have to say, I'm not looking forward to the prospect of taking my son to school when he's old enough for school and having it be pitch black out. So that does it does resonate with me. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Do you favor permanent daylight saving time, which is what the U.S. Senate just passed? Do you favor permanent standard time, which is what Arizona and Hawaii observe, as Dr. Sky told John Katsimatidis on Sunday? Or do you like this back and forth system? To me, that's the worst. If I was ranking my preferences, because I'm a ranked choice voting advocate, remember, My first choice is full year of standard time. Second choice, full year of daylight saving. Third choice is back and forth, but more standard time. Because they cut the standard time to so little that it's like we almost have daylight saving time all year round as it is. Give us a couple extra months of standard time. So that's my preferences. I'd love to hear yours. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Because this is not an issue that's going to go away. The, you can bet Rubio and Sina may, may have slipped this past the U.S. Senate. That's not going to happen in the House. This will be the most debated thing in the history of the House of Representatives. This bill is going to get more debate than the Iraq war got. 
Pamela's in Central Jersey. Hello, Pamela. Yeah, I'll switch gears here. Yeah, I um, it, the Senate has something called magnanimous vote, and you're right, it's sneaky. And if they can do it with this, just think of what they can do as such things as declaring war. Sure. Federal. Oh yeah. It, it's very scary. It, I don't like it, and uh, they don't even have to be there. It's frightening, but I like standard time because I'm an early riser and I don't like this two hours of darkness when you get up. Yeah, well, I look, it's dark um, for most of the time that I'm up, so I'm in a different position, but that's because I'm nocturnal. But I think uh, I think uh, you're I, I get it. I get it. Absolutely right. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let me say hello to Mike in New Rochelle. Hello, Mike. Good morning, Frank. That was a great interview with uh, Uncle Floyd. Thank you. Him talk forever. Me too. Uh, I got a, a, a mystery to, to, that, that's unsolved, but uh, I just want to bring something up. Save your calls a lot of hard times and headaches. Another side of midnight is the new name for Curtis Sliwa on the weekends. That's what the, the radio stations quoted it on the website. Oh, great. Anyway. All right. So then that's it. That's breaking news. All right. I don't know why he's telling everybody to keep calling in. The, the the unsolved mystery is uh, 400 pounds of heroin was uh, was stolen from the New York City Police Department in 1972. I you know I don't know about that actually. The indictment said the uh, the jury was uh, investigating. Uh, oh geez, the just uh, happened. At, it was in the Daily News, 1974, and th- the property was uh, supposedly, according to. Uh, what is it, Patrick Murphy? February 1974, I was indicted. Uh, yeah. Illegal right. removal of narcotics from the New York City Police Department property clerk's office. Uh, and it's never been solved. And there's also uh, Detective Nunziata who was tied in with it, and he was supposedly suicided. I will, um, I will put that on my list. I have, I'm not familiar with that, Mike. I will put it on my list. Thank you. 800-848-WABC. Henry is in Manhattan. Hello, Henry. Hi, how are you? Um, I, uh, I just recently looked into this uh, daylight savings time thing. Um, one, one thing that, that doesn't come up and I think is behind it all is longitude. New York and the Northeast are around 74 west longitude. Florida, most people don't realize it, is really way, uh, way east. It's uh, west of 80 degrees longitude. So that means sunrise uh, in uh, Florida is much later in any case. A degree of longitude is about 70 miles. So there's 420 miles uh, east of New York City is Miami. And uh, so it's no wonder that uh, uh, Marco Rubio uh, wanted the uh, 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 daylight savings times to be permanent. And as you said, the uh, in the wintertime, uh, uh, kids would be going out to get the bus in total darkness. Right, right. I mean, uh, and I, look, I guess people could get used to anything, Henry, but I, I don't love that idea. I think permanent standard is a much better solution. And I just got an email on that front from uh, Michelle. 
who says her vote is for permanent standard time. So tell me, now the country is serious about this. Right now we are just one congressional vote and one presidential signature away from permanent daylight saving time. How do you feel about it? 800-848-9222. Permanent standard, permanent daylight saving, or continue the back and forth. 800-848-WABC. Charlie is in Hell's Kitchen. Hello, Charlie. Hello, Thanks for taking my call. Sure, Charlie. I'm Your phone's a little screwy, so if we can't hear you, we're going to let you go. Okay. Okay, let me know. Uh, not, not really, Charlie. Thank you anyway. I appreciate you trying. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Lamar Mitchell is in the Bronx. Hello, Lamar Mitchell. Okay. Good morning, Professor Morano. How you doing? Well, um, I, um, you know, I think I'd, I could use a massage, but aside from that, I'm doing okay. Okay, great, great. The best for little Carmine and Rachel, all right, and Thank yourself you. also, okay. Listen, Professor, okay, Unsolved Mystery, Dad Hammerschild. Um, tell me again. Okay, for Unsolved Mystery, yeah. right? Okay, the name of the individual is Dag Hammerschold. Okay, Dag, Dag Hammerschold. Dag Hammerschold, right. He, he was, uh, I'm, I'm looking into this now, he was a Swedish economist. He went, right, he was a... Um, right, he, died, he was Secretary, he was the UN Secretary General yeah, of the Secretary UN, General died in a plane UN. crash. Crash, right, right. Oh, this is okay. good, actually. I like this. I mean, I hate that what happened to him, but it is interesting to look at. You, so you mm-hmm. you suspect foul play, Lamar? Possibly. Possib- possibly. Okay, Frank, listen, I worked in the building that bore his name. All right, well, I, so this is very personal to you, I guess. To you in the first, yeah, yeah. Okay, the building I worked in, okay, the Swedish mission was there. Or it still is there. All right? There's about nine or ten other missions, you know, in the building to the U.N. Uh, no, I, I can imagine the fish in that building. Probably delicious. This is... <laughs> Lamar, that's a good one. I'm putting it on my list, my man. Okay. And then, um, okay, damn, what was the other... Well, see, I'm getting flustered now. There was something else that... Yeah, yeah, there was something... Okay, Curtis, I'll get to later, right? Oh, okay, the Bronx. The Bronx. Okay, Professor, look, I don't know if you know this or not, like, right? The Bronx is not an original borough. Yeah, well, I mean, prior to 1898, none of the boroughs were original boroughs. It was just Manhattan, basically. Okay, all right. The Bronx was owned by Westchester County. Westchester County sold the Bronx to New York City or to Manhattan. Yeah, no, I, I, I am, uh, I am aware of that, Lamar. Thank you. And you know, it's funny if you look at the um, entities that voted not to become part of New York City. Yonkers, Yonkers, barely voted not to join New York City. So that's why they sometimes get the nickname the Sixth Borough because if some a few other people had voted the other way, they would have been part of New York City. So uh, it is interesting that uh, some communities went that way. Some did not. Brooklyn barely, barely voted to become part of New York City. Because remember, Brooklyn had a whole rich history as its own city. 
Seth Lowe, the mayor of Brooklyn, and you know the uh, whole it was a whole big big pride in in being from the city of Brooklyn. Just barely passed, just barely passed. The irony is Staten Island had passed overwhelmingly, whereas now today. If you ask people in Brooklyn or Staten Island, do you want to be part of New York City? I have a feeling the results would be flipped. 800-848-9222. Mendel is in Flushing. Hello, Mendel. Hey, how are you doing, Frank? Well, I, okay, I, I think I'm doing okay. All right. I want, I want to tell you a, an interesting thing you might, might, not, might not have thought of. Um, I personally like the change in time just because I like kind of like the variety. But in New York City especially – um, going to permanent um, daylight savings time would be actually difficult for the Orthodox Jewish community, of which I happen to be a member. Um, interestingly, the Orthodox Jews, they, they pray daily in the synagogue. And according to Jewish law, um, prayers revolve around sunrise. Sure. And there's on, only a certain amount of time before sunrise that you're allowed to pray the morning prayers. And if they would go to permanent daylight savings time, sunrise wouldn't be till like 810 which would really throw off a lot of things to the Orthodox Jewish community, you know, in Brooklyn and Queens and, and other places in the tri-state area, because that means they wouldn't be able to pray till the earliest, perhaps oh, 7, 15, 7, interesting. 20. Interesting. That, that would also mess up, you know, the boys in the yeshivas who, who start school at seven thirty, eight o'clock, but they couldn't necessarily start prayers at, at a reasonable time. So, you know, personally, I think permanent daylight savings time would be a disaster for well, our community. How about uh, – and that's interesting. i got to ask – my sister-in-law is Orthodox Jewish. I have to ask her about this. What do you think of permanent standard time? If I had to pick one, I'd rather that. I happen to kind of like the, ch- the variety. I happen to like the wintertime. You know, you have the long nights and the kind of shorter days, and then when you hit the summer, it's, uh, it's the other way. But if I had to pick one, it would be definitely permanent standard. That would that would work better for our community. Interesting. Good. Thanks for that observation, Mendel. Appreciate it. 800-848-9222. Uh, coming, uh, coming up, we'll do the $1,000 minute. And then uh, at 6 a.m., I will be in on the Bernie and Sid show just from 6 to 7. So be sure to stay tuned, as you always should, but especially today from 6 to 7. Dana is in Rhode Island. Hello, Dana. Hi, how are you doing this morning? Well, uh, I, uh, you know, I'm pretty standard right now, I'd say. Yeah, the, the answer is to move the clock a half an hour and never change it again. You know, it's so funny. My other sister-in-law, Sharon, suggested that approach today. And I, I, that, I mean, in some ways, it is pretty common sense. Well, you know, if you take a clock in your house and you set it, change it by half an hour, and you look at that clock, during the day, you said, boy, you know, this this works good. So why don't we just change it half an hour? And I think there are some states that are, there are a half an hour or some countries that are a half an hour different. Uh, you look, uh, you can look that up. There are some countries in the world that do that. Well, that's uh, that's uh, hey, putting it out there, Dana. Thank you. I still like permanent standard time, I think. Peter in Pennsylvania would say you. Frank, good morning. Um, listen, uh, first, parenthetically, I'm calling about standard and daylight. But um, on Dag Hammarskjöld, that's been a long-standing controversy. Um, yeah, well, it sounds perfect been, for uh, perfect for us. Yeah, show. yeah. There's there's been documentaries, maybe even books about it. Whether he was, you know, or whether his plane was sabotaged, and you know, I don't know all the reasons why it would have been. What the objections were to him as Secretary General of the UN. But the the the, the Hammerschel death has been, uh, you know, uh, 
enveloped in mystery and yeah. No, I like it. I'm I'm going to dig deeply into this. I like it. Now, as far as uh, daylight savings, uh, standard time. We have to just just permanent standard time. Daylight savings time was an artificial thing to begin with. You know, we we we've done away with the horse and buggy. We have no need for daylight savings time, and it's ridiculous to make it permanent. Let's go. You know, where we fall in the longitudinal scale from you know Greenwich Mean Time, which is our which is standard time. Let's just stay with that. You know, daylight savings time is an artificial thing. I like it. Uh, I like it, Peter. That's my vote. If I were uh, in the United States Senate, that's what I'd be pushing for. Thank you. And, you know, I'm a little surprised at Senator Kirsten Cinema because Arizona doesn't participate in daylight saving time at all. I would have thought she would have gone something that would have basically standardized what they do in Arizona, but she didn't. She went the other way. 800-848-9222. Tom is in Brooklyn. Hello, Tom. Good morning, Frank. Morning. Um, may, I make, may I comment on two issues? Yeah, please. It's your dime. Um, there was a caller that said that Israel uses the Patriot battery system for their protection. I believe he's a little formed. The system that they're using is their own. It's called Iron Dome. We, we did have a part in financing it, uh, Obama in 2014. We had $235 million for the uh, research and development. But they're using that. I think before that, though, we used, um, we used the Iron uh, They used the Patriot system. Okay. Um, well, I appreciate the, uh, the clarification there. Yeah. It, I, didn't, I don't want to be an idiot about it, but I, I just wanted to say that. Um, well, my second why should you be different than everybody else that, uh, that calls and corrects me with things? Roger that. Um, I, I'm an Iraqi veteran, and I suffer from uh, PTSD. Um, many, and many hospitalizations and, and you know, drug use, and drug, uh, you know, the diagnosis is where they give me different drugs and stuff, or medications, if you want to call it. Uh, but I found that uh, a combination of psychiatric uh, evaluation to the medications that I had to take, uh, individual counseling with either psychiatrist, I mean, psychologist, or even a good counselor, which I have, and, and group therapy, which I found most effective as well. I was stubborn, and stubbornness and fear it was the obstacles in my recovery, and it still is at times, you know. And um, But your thought on the insurance and pharma industry making money off of this, I think you're on to something, Frank. Uh, well, th- follow, yeah, thank you, Tom. I mean, it always seems that's the thing. Thanks for your service and good luck uh, with your continued thank recovery. You. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Ted is in Forest Hills. Hello, Ted. Yeah, hi. The, the feeling of the uh, contraband from the police station was the French connection. Uh, you know, I didn't realize that. Somebody just emailed me an article, and uh, now I see that it was the French Connection case. So uh, I think that definitely is a, a potent subject for a future show. Yeah. Okay. Take care. God bless you. God is blessed. Uh, thank you, Ted. And uh, finally, Ralph is in New Jersey. Hello. Okay. Ralph. Yes. Hello, indeed, uh, Frankie. And, uh, you know, I, since it's made of the subject matter of mystery, I want to delve into something that happened in the past and something that happened in the year and now. What exactly is the origin of this virus that we are still going through in this country and throughout the entire world, okay? And while we're at it, what the Dr. Clown, Fauci, what did he know and when did he know about these things? You know, now, uh, the COVID... 
COVID origins okay. is is a great one, Ralph. Thank you. And we will – I actually began working on a segment on that yesterday. I'm waiting for some of the experts that I've reached out to. Uh, I mean it, it's one of those issues that it just becomes so – hyperbolic. I'd almost rather deal with issues from a couple of hundred years ago, like the mystery of what happened with Roanoke Colony or stuff like that, because people don't get as as crazed as when you bring up polarizing subjects these days. But we are going to get into that. And you know what's interesting? In China, they are doing COVID lockdowns again. And there's some speculation that we may not be done with this. And, you know, one of the things that we're seeing, have you noticed the gas prices stabilizing over the last week. It's not where it was two months ago, but it's a lot higher than it was two weeks ago. And apparently that is because the experts are saying that's because the COVID lockdown has fewer uh, people driving in China. So because the Chinese aren't driving because of the new lockdown, it's leading to more supply that we can tap into. And that's why the prices have dipped, have, uh, just dipped a little bit, a little bit. I mean, it's still outrageous. But, but yeah, it, there was an article this weekend, another COVID surge may be coming. Are we ready for it? Let me tell you, I, you know, I didn't do anything differently during the COVID crackdown. The only thing that was different is I had businesses were closed and I had to wear a mask everywhere. I don't want to do that again. And I hope uh, we don't go go down that route again. So we'll see what happens. But uh, scientists are warning that the United States is not doing enough to prevent a new surge from endangering vulnerable Americans. So uh, we'll see what happens. We'll keep an eye on on that. All right. The $1,000 Minute is next. If you want to try and answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds, be the seventh caller. To 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Frank Marano. 77 WABC. Hello, I'm a Giuseppe. I got something special for you. Love this song. The great Joe Dolce. My grandfather used to say this to me. When my son cries for no reason, after he's been changed and fed and burped, I, I sing this song to him. The great Joe Dolce. We've got to get Joe Dolce on this show. Uh, Shut up, you face. One of the great classics from this era or any era. Uh, all right. Well, this is uh, some sad news. The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents breaking news. Unfortunately, it is my duty to tell you that a Boeing 737 airplane 
operated by China Eastern Airlines has crashed into southern China with more than 130 people on board, uh, according to state media. There was no immediate information on casualties or why the plane went down, but uh, people at this point are not too enthusiastic. Again, a Chinese airliner carrying uh, – or not too optimistic, rather. A Chinese airliner carrying 133 people – has crashed in southern China. So that is uh, sad news, sad news. Uh, We are keeping an eye on that. And if there are any developments, uh, I'll tell you about them. And just stay tuned right here because even after the show is over, Deb Valentine will have the latest for you at 5 a.m. And then I'll be on with Bernard McGurk from 6 to 7, and then he'll take you the rest of the way from uh, 6 until 10. Rudy Giuliani is going to be on the show as well as Rich Lowry. All right, uh, time now on a on a much more upbeat, much happier note for the other side of midnight presents. It's the thousand dollar minute. Answer ten questions correctly in one minute, and you could win one thousand dollars. Here's your host, Frank Murano. Thank you, Chris Libertini. Let's meet today's contestant, Artie in Montville, New Jersey. Hello, Artie. How you doing, Frank? I'm well, Artie. How was your weekend? Pretty good. Did you do anything fun? No, I just ate too much. Uh, because of St. Joseph's Day or something else? No, no, not really. Just well, would... a lot of family dinners. Good. Okay, good. Well, I, it's always nice to be able to spend uh, sp- some the weekends with family. All right. You've heard this contest before, Artie, right? Yes, I have. Okay. Yep. So if you answer a question right, I'm just going to go on to the next one so that we can try and uh, run through these, okay? No problem. All right. What season began yesterday? Spring. When is U.S. Independence Day celebrated? July 4th. Which Disney princess lost her slipper? Cinderella. What occupation did the character of Newman have on the sitcom Seinfeld? Box office. What were the last two states admitted to the Union? Hawaii, Alaska. What was the name of the stadium where the New York Giants baseball team played prior to moving to San Francisco? Polo Grounds. In the Bible, what future king defeated Goliath? Ooh. What future king? Uh, King Tut. Uh, I thought for sure you were going to win this one. Uh, you were going to win no, this one, Artie. David, no, David, David oh, beat Goliath. Davy and Goliath. You know the story, David, and then he became oh, yeah, a king. Well, moron, yeah. David and Goliath. What yeah. an idiot. Uh, well, it's okay, Artie. You were doing well. Uh, I'm sorry. We're, I'm going to put you on hold. Give your information to Philippe. We're going to send you a consolation prize, okay? Okay, sure. All right. Sorry, but uh, he did well. I thought we were going to have another $1,000 winner. I was getting excited. Didn't you think that guy was going to win? I did, too. You could, he, his answers had a certain confidence in them. Because he knew. He, and he, he, it was and, quick. And, yeah, and he was knocking them off. I thought he was going to get David. I mean, oh, even you knew David, David, right? Of course. Yeah. From yeah. David and Goliath. Right. Exactly. <laughs> same. same. Uh, and, and, you know, some people know him from the Bible as well. Uh, I, I, you know, we, we, we almost gave away a thousand dollars there. I thought we were uh, getting there. That was the seventh question. So he got six right and then lost on the seventh. If you think you can do better, call in tomorrow at this time and we'll give you an opportunity to play the thousand dollar minute. You know, more and more people have been telling me 
they tune in just for the thousand dollar minute at four thirty. So it's a it's a fun feature of this show, and we're gr- glad that management lets me lets me do that. Not a lot of radio stations would be prepared to risk a thousand dollars. That is for sure. So Friday at this time, unbeknownst to me. Somebody was shot across the street. Somebody was shot, not in the windows that I'm facing, but on the opposite side of the floor, on 50th Street and 3rd Avenue, in front of, I think it was the Empire Hotel. And I did not hear anything about it until 5.01. Now, I was amazed that nobody brought this to my attention. Um, Matt Blaze, do you have any insight into this? Why did no one tell me that someone was shot across the street from us? I think at the time we didn't have all of the information, so we didn't want to put out anything that we didn't know about. I see. Oh, well, that's responsible, I guess, right? I did know about it. But you chose to keep me in the dark. It was about 4.30, I believe, somewhere around there. And I thought, we don't really know all of the information. So without putting out wrong information... We decided that it would be better not to say anything. Now, that was a story, I think, that we broke at WABCradio.com. Yes. Uh, do, we, do, you, do we know if we have any other information on it? Uh, any more than, than what has been out there? I do not know. But so um, there was no um, – see, this is what the New York Post said. So a 33-year-old wearing a six-figure watch was shot outside a four-star New York City hotel. Um, and I took photos of it when I left, and you could see the New York Post has video. The victim took an Uber from a strip club on West 39th Street near Fifth Avenue to, oh, it's not the Empire Hotel. It's the 50 Hotel and Suites, which I've stayed at. Yes. When Frank, Frank Diaz just said he has some information. Oh, well, Frank, what do you have, have for us on this story? What's the latest? Oh. First of all, why was I not informed about this on Friday morning? As far as I know, we told Molly about it, and Molly was like, oh, we'll tell you, but I think you were in the middle of something. It was around 4.15 when it happened. Right. Uh, I mean, I was probably talking about egg salad or something. Uh, I could be interrupted <laughs> for, yeah. uh, for uh, a again, shooting. Again, I, I made the decision that we uh, didn't know the information. Right. Well, in general, you know, I think we can let Frank in on what everybody else on the floor seems to know about. I mean... It, I mean, I, do I strike you as the kind of person that's going to go off half-cocked claiming that there's a, a wild gunman on the no, loose? No, that, that is true. But I, I, at the time, I just felt we don't know the details. It had just happened. It was like, somebody got shot on the street. And I was like, right. well, I'm glad okay. we so I'm glad we got to break that story uh, first. But go ahead. And we were the first. What, no, what well, we, yeah, we, we have a few pictures that uh, Richard Schwartz went to go take. Uh, he he ran down there as soon as uh, as soon as it happened. And uh, I know Gabby Lopez uh, said she heard six shots. The guy was hitting the six groin. shots, six shots in the groin and in the legs. Uh, the, the guy tried to steal his wallet, I think, and he couldn't get it. So he ran away. Uh as far as we know, not, there's not really much to go on. It's just he's he's at the hospital. So what I found interesting was that there was a picture that the New York Post used of him because the guy apparently the likes victim to victim fla- of the victim. The victim, yeah, he likes to flaunt his jewelry. Yeah, th- this watch that he was wearing yeah. was evidently worth more than a hundred grand. Yeah, yeah. So what what really what's bizarre to me right now is that the picture was up on the Instagram and now the Instagram page looks like it's been taken down 
Interesting. And huh. so, uh, and there were also some uh, 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 unconfirmed reports that he died, but that it wasn't from anywhere major. Do we so. know if the victim was targeted or if this was random? Uh, it's from what the police are saying. It's it's uh, it was a, it just it was an attempted robbery. So it sounds like it was random. Yeah, but- and apparently this fella, this fella that was shot multiple times in the legs and groin in this attempted robbery, is we have a name for him. It's uh, P- Pierrec Jameau, and he is a French-born cryptocurrency expert. Yes. We, and so, um, very interesting that crypto sphere. It's very shady. So it wouldn't shock me if this was some intra crypto war or something. I I well, well not even that. I just I thought it was like he he knew the guy that shot him and then the guy tried to make it look like maybe it was a robbery as opposed to so he could say that, you know, Interesting. Uh, it was it wasn't he's specifically aiming at him, but No no arrests though at this no, point. No, no, not at all. Uh so and uh, the post has a picture of him and his wife. He's married to this Model, this beautiful twenty-six-year-old model, uh, Australian. Oh, uh, yeah, good. Well, I mean, she's still a model. Yeah, no, it doesn't know. take anything away from her modeling career. The fact that she's from Australia, um, but um, well, so good for him. You know, I know a lot of fellas think, all right, he's married to a model. He deserves to get shot in the groin once in a while. Joking, it's not true. I'm not making light of anybody. Um, so he was seen leaving Bellevue on Saturday. Uh, the wife was. The wife was seen leaving Bellevue on Saturday, but she declined to comment on her husband. So this fella, Parik Jameau, who was born in France, now lives in Hong Kong, and he's founder of an online banking platform called Hi, H-I, which says it's a next-gen crypto exchange. So I don't know what happened here. I don't know if this was random. I suspect that it was not. And I hope certainly they catch whoever did it. But anyway, it's a pretty frightening thing having, you know, being able to see and hear gunshots right where we work. So that happened on 50th and 3rd. I park on 3rd between 49th and 50th. We have a staff meeting every Friday morning at 7 o'clock. Now, these staff meetings, when our president, Chad, is not there, they go super fast. They, it's basically this is the meeting. Hey, do you have any issues? Yes, you have issues? Okay, what are your issues? Great. Here's how we can address them. Um, oh, oh, let's go through the numbers for the week. This is what's up. This is what's down. Uh, anybody else have any issues? Any questions about the numbers we went? These are wonderful meetings. Everyone's out of there early. Everyone's issues are addressed. They're great. And it's, it's really a testament to the program director, Matt Meany, that we're able to do this. So the last couple of weeks, we have been out of these meetings so quickly that I haven't moved my car at 7 o'clock. And I get down to my car around 7.10. And a couple of times they start before 7 because we're all done at 5. Molly, Matt, uh, Matt Lee, as we call them. Matt Lee, me. We're done at 7. I mean, at five. So if Matt gets in before seven, we have the meeting when he gets here, which is great. And we everybody gets home gets to start their weekend or do whatever they want to do. So Friday comes around. We have this meeting. Good meeting. It's done by, I would say, 715 or so. 715, right? 715. 
So I'm looking out the window the whole time, the whole time at my car. No ticket, no ticket, no ticket, no cop, no, no, I hate to use the term, no meter mate, nobody, nobody, gun, gun, good. If I see a police officer walking down that block, I'm running down. Nothing, nothing. 7.15, meeting over. I did not move my car. I did what I did the last two weeks. I played the car roulette and didn't bother moving it into a parking garage. Now, the station is kind enough to reimburse us for our parking, so there's no reason I shouldn't put it in a parking garage. But two things were at play here. One, I didn't want to move it for a half hour. Right? I didn't want to do that. And two, I, I didn't want to leave the building and move the car or come back. And I didn't have any cash to tip the parking garage attendant. So I don't like to have him bring me my car without being able to give him a couple of bucks. So I get down to my car at 721. It's got a bright orange giant parking ticket on it. So the ticket was written at 716. I had just... This guy, by the time this meeting ended to the time I walked in front of our building, this ticket was written. Now, it's $115. $115. Quite, quite frankly, $115 that I don't have. Um, here's what I'm wondering. Now, the, the New York City Department of Finance has beat me many times. Many times. Many times. I I shudder to think at what I've paid in parking tickets over the years. Thousands. Easily. Thousands. Now, this shooting happened right, right perpendicular to where my car was parked. Okay? There's caution tape everywhere. There was blood on the street. Now, I don't like to be dishonest. However... I also don't like to take advantage of someone else's shooting. However, I'm wondering, do you think it would make sense, even though this is not technically true, do you think it would make sense to say that because of this shooting on 50th Street that I could not get back to my car in time on 3rd and 50th. Uh, look, it is a little dishonest. And I don't condone dishonesty. And maybe this is a bad karma invitation. That's why I'm raising it. Tell me what you think. 800-848-9222. But if there's one agency that I don't mind shortchanging of $115, it's the New York City Department of Finance, given what I've paid there. And again... I, I just missed it. Had I been down a minute or two earlier. And look, we were talking about the shooting in the meeting. So, I mean, it is true, as Obi-Wan Kenobi would say, from a certain point of view. Is there any justification for this at all? Email me. Tell me what you think. Or call me. You can email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Or you can call me, 800-848-9222. Shooting right next to my car. Now, my car was not harmed, and the shooting, the closing off of the street did not delay me from getting to my car. 
But it's a tragedy. Should I try to get out of this ticket? What do you think? 800-848-WABC. Matt Blaze, do you have an opinion on this? The only way you're getting out of this ticket is if there's a bullet hole in your car. (laughs) Other than that, forget it. I mean, you could say, I didn't want to go down. I heard there was a shooting. I was scared. I didn't want to go move my car. They'd still give you a ticket. They'd still say, forget about it. (laughs) They are tough. They are tough. So what did you do Friday? You moved your car? I did move my car. So you were dodging bullets and everything to yes, move your car? Yes, absolutely. I was ducking and rolling and, and, and getting out of the way. But I I did see, I think it was on Friday, it might have been Thursday or Friday, I did see one of those, I don't know what they, I don't want to say meter me, but those, those little yeah, police ticket, agent. Yeah, ticket okay. agent, right at 7 o'clock. They were right outside because there's a lot of trucks that do deliveries. I know. And they double park. I, they blocked me in. They blocked me in too. And I think... Those guys have a permanent ticket they in do. their in yeah. their That's, it's, 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 it's written there. into the cost of doing business. And, but it's, it's, the ticket is actually there. And they come up and they look at the ticket, I guess, to see the date. Because that ticket could have been from two years ago. And right. they just leave it in there. Right. But right at 7 o'clock, they were down there. So I'm wondering – so I'm done with Bernie and Sid at 7 today. I'm wondering if I can make it down there at 7 and, and, uh, and get the know. car. That's – that's cutting it close. If you get, if you get there right at seven, you're okay. But I I have done that where I've seen them at the truck, and they're eyeing me, and it's right at seven o'clock, and I'm like, oh, I just made it. And you know, I'm thinking one of these days they're gonna write the ticket. Like I'm gonna be sitting in the car. Yeah, and they're that's just happened start to me. Writing it it's it, happened to me. It says no parking, no standing. It's happened. To so me. they could do it. All right, eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Fred's in Yonkers. Hello, Fred. Hey, Frank, good morning. One thing about disappearances, what about Arthur MacArthur? Never heard from that chap again. <laughs> okay. The other thing, you know, if you live in Ecuador, every day is an equinox, so they don't have any trouble with the daylight savings this or daylight savings that. Let's move to Ecuador. Uh, hey, I'm not moving to Ecuador, but it's not a bad suggestion. Mike Porcelli says that I should tell the Department of Finance to bill the shooter. That's an idea. It's an idea. They got to catch the guy first. The shooter will try and probably try and pay in cryptocurrency. Kevin's on Long Island. Hello, Kevin. Uh, good morning. Yes, uh, to beat that ticket is very simple. It's an app called Win It. You're on the App Store, and it's called Win It. And then you give them the ticket. You fill it all out. They'll they'll be they'll fight the ticket for you. And it and doesn't cost you anything. So whatever the ticket is, if it's $150, you only have to pay $75. Oh, so you pay them half the value of the ticket? They, yeah, you don't pay nothing. Yeah, you pay half the value, and you're, and you're good to go. Only if you win. Yeah, you'll win. I, I've done it. A guy, I, really? I, I am downloading this app right now. But trust you'll me, win it? I am going to get I, a lot of use out of this if it's what I you say. Think, may God strike me down. I thought the guy was full of it. And I did it, and I and I paid. Uh, I, it cost me to have to take it in New York City. Oh, cool. app I, I love it. I, I'm, I'm going to download it right now. I didn't know about it. In fact, you should have just emailed me because I hope now. Uh, I, I just drove from East Quad to Manhattan. I drive 85 miles each way to the city. All right. Well, can uh, yeah. you stand with my car at seven o'clock until I get down there? So make sure I don't uh, get a ticket. No, I make a lot more money than that. Thank nah, you, fair, fair enough. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. 
800-848-9222. 15 seconds of fame next. If you want to be heard for 15 seconds, straight ahead. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Um, I had just downloaded this Win It app. If this is what this guy says, this could be a game changer for me. Uh, th- this could be big. we got to get these guys to advertise if, if it works. Uh, all right. W- without further ado, it's time for The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Tony in Coney Island. Scooby-Doo, I'm in love with you, dooby-doo, dooby-doo. I'm in love with you, Scooby-Doo, dooby-doo. I'm in love with you. Neil on Staten Island. Why don't you tell him that uh, you didn't have $5 to tip the parking attendant, so you decided to park illegally, even though your employer pays for your parking. Maybe the guy laughed so hard that check off not guilty by mistake. Ray in Woodhaven. Speaking of mental illness, I told my psychiatrist, I just keep thinking of wigwams and teepees. Teepees and wigwams. Wigwams and teepees. He says, I see the problem. You're too tense. (laughs) John in the Bronx. I'd like to see Curtis Lewa run for office. I don't know if he could get elected dog catcher, but if he ran for cat catcher, he'd probably win. Michael in Manhattan. Yes, daylight savings time is great. It allows you to work later in the day without even realizing that you're working late. Number two, let the rabbis skirt the time issue for the men praying. Well, Al in Forest Hills. You cannot handle the truth. Diane in Manhattan. I think a great unsolved mystery would be the, uh, the downplaying of Senator Paul Wellstone. Oh, that, that is a good one. Peter in Manhattan. Yes, to my recent uh, arrival, American arrivals from other countries, they should look at the five-point story and see that the very people that are castigating them went through hell. But... Thank you, Peter. All right, that about slams lid on things for today. The WABC Early News is next. I'm going to be back at 6 a.m. with Bernard McGurk from 6 a.m. until 7 a.m. Frank Moreno.